You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 450. Yeah, he's up in the sky. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on Thanksgiving. In today's episode of Boeing 777 stalls after taking off from JFK, the FBI arrests the suspected operator of a drone which hit a Los Angeles police helicopter. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale, the average pilot. So get all settled in, tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions, electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger and Flight 450 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter, currently at the number one all-news station in the nation, 1010 Wins in New York City. Nailed it. (laughs) Third show is a charm. All right. Um, This is the Airline Pilot Guy Show, an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. And your mediocre feedback as well. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me from her lakeside studio in... South Kakalaki, Dr. Skydiver, marathon runner, strength training junkie, IPA connoisseur, and commercial multi-engine instrument rated backstabbing jumper dumper, Dr. Steph. Hey, Captain Jeff. Happy Thanksgiving. So glad to see you you. guys. Can't think of a better way to spend uh, the morning of this holiday. Right. Yeah, we can all see through those lies. (laughs) I tried. Yeah. All right. And also joining us from a studio in the Valley of the Sun. He's an airplane mechanic, a brightling, cognoscenti, fitness hound, and international air freight captain. It's Miami Rick. Hello, everybody. Not out on the road this time. Uh, happy to be back. Looking forward to another great APG and happy Turkey Day to everybody. Yeah, thanks. Great to have you on with the with us again. And also joining us from across the pond in the old world is a studio in the English countryside. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired captain for an international airline based in London. It's Captain Nick. Hi, hi, and this Thanksgiving's Day, I don't quite understand, is it? Thank you for leaving us. Yes, we're thankful that we're not part of your empire. <laughs> one, one of the many things we're thankful for. Uh, exactly, among other things. Uh, anyway, uh, I gather you've slaughtered millions of turkeys just we for this have. particular day, is that right? Yes, yep. with our guns and our AR-15. Great. <laughs> Love it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Brilliant. Well, have fun chewing on the carcasses. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> we'll do. Looking forward to it, actually. You know, actually, I it's probably won't have any turkey at all today. It's. I know it's harder to... Hard to really describe, but it's an odd situation over at my house. But 
you know, we're having a very small Thanksgiving, and I've heard that there were being there were multiple turkeys being brined the other day. So I'm not really sure who, what army we're trying to feed, but um, I'm up to the challenge of consuming my allotted portion of nice turkey. Well, eat a great portion for me as well, if you don't mind. All right, Um, let's move on right away to this week's news. Stand by for news. Okay, Uh, last week we talked about the, oh, I forgot to get the little sound effect, the Volga um, AN-124 that had the uh, catastrophic engine failure and some issues with a couple of the other engines as well. Well, the the VD, we're going to call it VD Group, that's probably not appropriate, uh, has put safety first and made what it called the responsible decision to ground all its AN-124s following a recent incident at Novorysk. 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 Ooh. Well, where were you last week, Rick, <laughs> when we were trying to I've pronounce been to all these things? I've There's not a lot going on there, but uh, <laughs> well, place. apparently you've been there. Or not. No. Oh, I have. I've been to Novorysk. Oh, good. Cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, they made an emergency landing after an engine failure. The carrier... Uh, today filed a letter with the Russian aviation authorities to notify them of the decision to ground its eight operational aircraft immediately. This is a well thought through decision. We want to be proactive and preemptive and demonstrate that we are a responsible airline where safety comes first. The, uh, according to uh, Konstantin Vershin, Ver- Vekshin, uh chief commercial officer, We have not received any official notifications or service directives yet, and there are no preliminary conclusions, so we have to suspend the entire AN-124 fleet with immediate effect. Um, Yeah, they had their hands full uh, last week when they, around 1,000 feet above the ground, they lost the number two, and then we're having issues with uh, three and four. Uh, It cut through um, cabling, uh, took out the electrical Mm -hmm. supply. Uh, resulting in loss of communication, all electrical systems, instruments, brakes, and thrust reversers, making the runway overrun unavoidable, according to the Aviation Herald. Anyway, so uh, these these pilots are lauded as heroes uh, to be able to get the airplane safely back on the ground. Mm, Job well done, definitely. Yep. I think they did a great job. They did a great, great yeah. job. Oh, yeah. Best of an awful situation. And as far as the uh, AN-124 being grounded, um, I think um, 747 pilots around the world are uh, very happy about that because it's happened to me many times that uh, you go um, to, um, you get direct, you get clear direct to the uh, entry point for your Oceanic Crossing and the preceding traffic's an AN-124. And that thing uh, usually uh, does not go very fast. No. And uh, yeah, so uh, if, if you are... Uh, you're hoping that you either make it to the entry point before he does, or you get clear to either a higher or a lower level. But uh, if you get stuck behind that thing, I mean, you're doing 0.76, 0.77, which on a 747 is uh, uh, akin to uh, driving with the uh, emergency brake on and your blinker on. So uh, (laughs) it's uh, it's not not very very fun. (laughs) Your left blinker on. 
Exactly. Uh, your blinkers for on. For 75 miles in the left lane. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. We can all kind of, uh, uh, whatever that word is. Empathize. Relate. Yeah, yeah. Relate. relate. Thank there you. you. <laughs> relate to that. <laughs> wow. I guess too much tequila More last night. More coffee. <laughs> yeah. That bit like getting putting put five miles final behind a Cessna 150. Yeah. <laughs> Do that, uh, I would imagine that they put out a little bit of wake turbulence as well. I, would, I don't know. Looks like it might oh, be. They're pretty big, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Probably something you wouldn't notice on a 747. Actually, at uh, <clears throat> going into Hong Kong a couple of, couple of years ago, I was uh, behind an A350. And uh, I caught his wake at about 100 feet. It rolled mm. me about 25 degrees, right? Yikes. You know, yeah, just just Ouch. before the flare. Ouch. And uh, I was like, "Really? That thing did that to us?" <laughs> ever since then, uh, yeah, I, I, I proceed with caution. Yeah, I think yeah. Airbus designed it that way. That way, Rick. It only affects 747. <laughs> <laughs> I can totally see Pierre doing that. <laughs> Very clever of them. I don't know how they did it. <laughs> All right, let's move on. Um, Speaking of, well, we're not talking about 747s in this case. We're talking about a 777. Now, the the headline, um, as um, Roger, Radio Roger, said in the uh, opening here about the 777 stalling, it didn't actually stall, but it got a stall warning. Uh, Let's see. It was a 777-200 freighter, registration November 702 Golf Tango, Performing flight uh, 947 from New York, Kennedy to Seoul, um, and it was a Southern Air, I don't know if I mentioned that or not, was climbing out of JFK's runway 22 right, climbing through about 5,000 feet when the crew contacted departure advising, actually they were climbing through about 4,000 feet when the crew contacted departure advising they were climbing to 5. They were cleared to climb to 11, then continued the climb, the pilot monitoring read back the clearance to climb to 11,000 feet, and... Uh, he shouted, obviously, to the pilot flying, but the radio uh, switch was still depressed, and you could hear it in the, uh, and I'm thinking to myself, I forgot to get the darn ATC audio to play here, so let's listen to it right now. Yeah. So we're pretending we're listening to it right now. <laughs> so I try and look interested. Yeah. <laughs> okay, departure, so there are 947, uh, 4,000, climbing, uh, 5,000. Who was that? Southern Air 947. Southern Air 947, you're ready to contact. Turn left setting 050, climb maintain 11000. 050, climb. Stall, 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 stall. Southern Air 947, stand by. Approach good day, group in the lines 526, 9000 on the Everybody stand by. Triple 224, turn left 240, join the localizer, you're cleared ILS, 22 left. 240, join the localizer, clear for the ILS, 22 left, just blue, 224. Departure executive at 564, leaving 1.7 for 3,000 on the uh, 220 heading. Stand by. Southern 47, can you climb? Southern 947, stand by. Southern Air 47, my team's getting new altitude. Yes, say again, Southern Air, you're good now? Yes, we are, my team's getting altitude. Yes, Southern Air 947, turn left to 090. Left heading 090, Southern Air uh, 947. Southern Air 947, heavy. You want to continue a climb now? Southern Air 47, we can continue a climb. Southern Air 947, heavy turn left setting 050, climb maintain 11000. Left setting 050, climb maintain 11000. Southern Air 947, requesting high speed climb. Speed is your discretion, sir. Thank you, sir. 
947, heavy departure, 120.85. 120.85. Anyway, um, so you can hear him saying uh, stall, 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 stall while he still has the uh, microphone um, tra- or depressed or the uh, microphone switch depressed and then standby. And uh, the speed over the ground had decayed from about 273 knots to 256 knots while climbing above 5,000 feet. The aircraft began to descend 5,100 from 5,150 feet, stabilized about 200 feet lower. In the meantime, the controller received several requests from the from other aircraft and just replied standby to the other aircraft. The controller queried about whether they were ready to climb now. The crew again replied standby. About 90 seconds after the stall uh, calls, the speed had recovered to 277 knots over the ground and was accelerating. The crew indicated they were ready to climb again. Everything was good again and were clear to continue their climb. The controller also resumed normal service to all aircraft. The 777-200 continued their flight to Seoul, where the aircraft landed safely about 14.5 hours later. So I'm thinking, this this 777, there's probably something done to it by somebody who had flown it um, a couple of years ago. (laughs) Um, Well, I am. And, and I, I don't know what it is, but I'm sure it has well, something to do. Just, I don't know, but it wasn't it wasn't me. <laughs> but you have flown no, that airplane, uh, haven't you? Yeah, this particular jet. Uh, uh, I have I have a lot of history with this with this particular jet. I I uh, I, uh, I guess uh, saw her, I saw her, uh, you know, be born. I guess you know at the factory. Mm-hmm. So uh, oh. Uh, this used to be uh, so at the bottom of the article there it says it, it it's uh, used to be seven seven six Lima Alpha. I know that this used to be seven seven eight Lima Alpha. Hmm. And um, oh, so and wrong. yeah, I used yeah. So the, uh, okay. the the registration on that is is actually wrong. So oh. we're looking for that fifty percent, but seven seven eight Lima Alpha that it used to be. Uh huh. And um, yeah. So the 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 cool thing about this airplane is that um, before switching over from uh, like I guess I can say it now, land cargo where I used to fly to um, to um, uh, Acme Giant, I delivered this particular aircraft uh, from uh, Miami to Cincinnati. So I did the final flight of this jet as a uh, land cargo uh, aircraft, and the, and when I did it, the the, they they already taken the star off the tail, you know, so they had to change the livery out slightly, and it still looks the same way today. But oh. as far as as far as the triple seven and uh, and and having this happen, I mean, it's 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 interesting because it's it's I can see a lot of things going on here, and and I'm not, I mean, obviously I haven't seen the data on it, um, and, um, and I wasn't there, so I don't exactly know what what may have transpired, but I can see a couple of a couple of things going on. First one is uh, the fact that you're taking off from you know one of the busiest airports in the world and if you know for 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 those of us who have flown in and out of the uh three major airports in the new york area uh, there's a lot going on all the time so you have to be on your game um um, another thing here is the fact that you're 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 talking about a flight from new york to seoul a flight that i've done many many times uh, upwards of 15 hours so that means that you are at maximum takeoff weight you know taking into account freight and fuel, and if not at maximum takeoff weight, very, very close to it. So that means that your maneuvering speeds for flaps are very close to placard speed, which is the maximum speed that you're allowed to fly in that configuration. 
on the high end of the speed tape and on the low end of the speed tape, um, very close to your minimum maneuvering speed. So you're, you find yourself in that, uh, I guess, call it coffin corner type scenario. Um, the fact that the airplane, the, the speed here was a 273 knots that says here when this happened, tells me that the airplane was clean. Basically, what that means is that the high lift devices were retracted because if I remember correctly, flap one speed, which is um, just slats on the 777, maximum speed for that is 265 knots. So the fact that they're flying at 273 tells me that this, the, uh, the slats were retracted. But then again, you're very, very close to that 265 um, uh, value. At 265 knots, you're going to get a little amber band you know, on the speed tape that tells you that you're getting low on airspeed. And so on that recording that we just heard, um, you'll hear on the, on the ATC tape uh, an alarm, a, a beeper sound, and that is the, the, the low uh, speed alert that the aircraft will uh, put out when you're getting low on speed, obviously. Um, so, as I said, a lot of things going on here. Uh, the interesting thing here, and I saw some of the comments on the, on the, uh, on the AF Herald um, article there. Uh, one person there suggested that perhaps they were climbing in vertical speed mode, which is one of the modes on the uh, autopilot flight director system. That, 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 that is not the case. <clears throat> and I know that for a fact because uh, standard operating procedure on the Boeing 777 dictates that you have to take off with the vertical navigation or VNAV portion of the autopilot engaged on the ground. Basically what that does, what VNAV does is it, um, it manages the vertical portion of the flight from climb to cruise to descent. And in the climb, it's important to have VNAV manage your, 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 uh, your speed because as you begin to clean the aircraft up after takeoff, by cleaning it up, I mean you start retracting the high lift devices. The flight director is going to command a pitch to give you a speed of placard, flat placard speed minus five. So as long as you follow the flight director commands, you won't go fast, so you won't overspeed the flaps, and you won't go slow, which means you won't uh, put yourself in this situation. So now the only other thing that I think may have led to this type of outcome is the fact that the pilot flying may have been hand flying the thing. The pilot monitoring was talking on the radio changing frequencies, trying to find out what the departure frequency was, because that was an issue. Uh, he may have had to look away from this primary flight display and, uh, you know, just forego for a second his duties as a PM, you know, monitoring that flight path and gotten overwhelmed with all the things going on. And also has, he, he also had to make the changes on the mode control panel for uh, handing and altitude. And in the meantime, you have the guy, the PF, uh, you know, doing his best to, uh, at hand flying the thing, when really, uh, when it comes to threat mitigation, the, 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 the thing to do would have been to just put the autopilot on, let the thing do uh, fly automatic on, uh, on autopilot. That's what, I, that's what I tell my FOs. I mean, like, look, it's, and I'm not saying this is what happened, but um, I tell them, look, you're welcome to hand fly as much as you want. But if at any point I feel like I'm overwhelmed and uh, I need to, uh, and you to pay attention to the flight path, I'm just going to put the autopilot on or just brief it on the ground. Just, dude, this is not a place to hand fly. You don't, you don't, I, mean, I understand. And we always, we're, we're big proponents of hand flying here, but there's a, there's, there's a time and a place for everything. And this wasn't it. So um, that's, that's my, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. I think, um, 
I think you're right. I think that they uh, probably hand flying, got a little distracted, let the airspeed get a little bit low, and then you get the warning, and it kind of is a startle factor, I'm sure, when you start oh, yeah. hearing right. warnings like that. Um, I don't know. But it, but it, but it wasn't. It wasn't. You know, they were they were nowhere near uh, Stalin. So when, no. when you get when you get to the top of the amber band, there, uh, it basically tells you that you have a thirty degree bank with a fifteen degree overshoot and one point three uh, G's. So it's you have a long ways till you till you stall. But still, you're talking about getting very 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 um, behind the power curve there, and you're so heavy. Mm-hmm. And the engines are are basically at max thrust the whole time because you're trying to you're trying to accelerate. So um, um, yeah, it's more of the story. Time and place for hand flying. Don't get over, just don't let yourself get overwhelmed. I think. Yeah, I mean, it was not a catastrophe, but it could have been if if they didn't take the appropriate or make mm-hmm. the appropriate responses to keep the airplane yeah. accelerating and everything else. So I think the yeah. the reason why this was a news item is because <laughs> unfortunately for them. Um, the uh, uh, shouting out stall, 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 stall <laughs> was actually transmitted on the frequency. And they went, whoa, yeah. what, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the important thing here is that they, you know, they corrected it. Uh, you know, they, uh, they um, uh, straightened the fly path out, yeah. uh, got the aircraft back uh, under control. Not that, not that they ever lost control of it, but uh, they mm-hmm. got the situation back under control, uh, continued the climb and, uh, you know, landed safely, which, uh, which is what uh, what's important here. Happy ending. Which I thought they did very well, Rick. I mean, they had to give up a little bit of altitude there to get the speed back, which is quite the correct exactly thing right. to do if you're behind the drag curve, on the wrong side of the drag curve. You've got to get energy from somewhere, so to lose a bit of altitude. And they uh, didn't accept the heading change, uh, so they just carried on straight ahead, which is exactly the right thing to do. The last thing you want to be is close to the stall and then, uh, turning at the same mm-hmm. time, as we all know, that increases your stall speed. So I think exactly once right. having got themselves into that situation, the crew did exactly the right thing to, you know, just get the airplane sorted out, get some energy back on board before they started accepting uh, any directions. Exactly right, and and I think that uh, well, two things. The first thing here is that uh, in our uh, simulator training, every six months or nine months or whatever, you know, whatever whatever program your 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 uh, your airline uh, uses. Uh, departure stalls um, are maneuvers that we that we practice all the time. You know, um, straight ahead departure stalls, stalls during a, during a departure procedures involving a turn. Uh, and uh, just as Nick said, uh, what what you do is if you're behind the power curve, uh, you have to you know, have to trade uh, altitude for speed because there's just no other way to to uh, obtain that energy there. And the other thing is, um, myself. And this is a personal preference of mine. When I'm very, very, very heavy, and there are, and there are turns involved, uh, I always leave the leading edge devices out, um, so the slats out, because as Nick said, uh, when you're banking and climbing, or banking and maintaining uh, level flight, uh, your load factor increases, which increases your stall speed. And so, if you find yourself, uh, I, I see a lot of times um, people going from flaps one to flaps up at heavy weights during a turn. And as long as you have the autopilot on and the, and you know, the, the autopilot will protect you, particularly the triple seven has a fantastic fly by wire system and it'll, it will protect you. Um, but if you take away that protection from the, from the, from the, uh, from the automation and you find yourself uh, hand flying this thing, unless you are 
dead center on that flight director, you're just asking for trouble. Well, and it's um, also just good practice too, you know, just to be thinking about all that stuff. I mean, exactly. not not practice like you know practicing it, but just in general, you know, what your thought process should be about mm-hmm. energy states. Exactly. And another thing, I, I um, somebody asked me a question about this the other day. They said, "Well, how how come they're doing 273 knots below 10,000 feet?" Well, you know, we all know that there's there's after after that accident, uh, I believe it was a uh, it was a constellation in a DC eight midair in uh, New York of all places because everything happens in New York apparently <laughs> after after that happened <clears throat> excuse me after that happened um the the norm became that uh, below 10,000 feet max speed's 250 knots now you can request uh speed relief or or a high speed climb uh, and basically what that means is that you're allowed to fly above 250 knots um uh, below 10,000 feet and uh you know, ATC, particularly and and at big airports. And I mean, you're talking about an airport that sees constant traffic of well, not so much anymore. But uh, you know, you're talking about heavy, heavy jets, three eighties, seven forty sevens, and the like. And these airplanes at very, very high takeoff weights cannot fly clean at 250 knots or less. So uh, ATC understands that. You ask for relief, you will. You know, nine times out of ten, get it. Um, and, uh, and that way you'll be able to fly, you know, at 200, it's, it's usually, it's usually on, on Boeing airplanes is a VRF 30 plus a hundred. So in this case, a VRF 30 would have been 173 knots plus a hundred or whatever your clean airspeed, uh, clean, uh, airplane speed is. So, uh, that's so an basically that, that, that allow you to do that. That's an interesting discussion because a lot of people would say, well, even if air traffic control <laughs> tells you it's okay to go above 250 knots, the technically the regulations are still being, um, oh yeah. <laughs> you're still busting the regulation. Uh, exactly, so. exactly. And and in, if if you climb out of uh uh for uh, the Germans won't allow you to do it. Uh, they'll uh, they'll they'll tell you, you know what uh, no no 250 below 10 and that's it. And then oftentimes that means that you have to have your your uh, your uh, your slats out or your leading edge devices out yeah. until you go through 10,000 and then you finally clean up and go to whatever your climb speed is. But uh And the other thing depends. to point out, I don't know if it's a case in this particular situation. <laughs> All these speeds they're referring to are ground speeds, not actual air speeds. Um, mm-hmm. Exactly. So depending on the exactly. winds, they may have actually been closer to 250. You know, I don't know mm-hmm. what the winds were at the time. So no, yeah, I I, I tried to look at the you know what the weather was and, yeah. and conditions and all that. I couldn't find anything. But uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, if if I mean I mean you're talking about five to five thousand to eleven thousand feet. Uh, I this time of year, that latitude, I can't see a wind being more knots. than twenty yeah. yeah. twenty five knots. So right. Okay. Very good. Very good. Um, let's move on to this next item. Uh, a serious incident involving a 747, uh, let's see, an Atlas Air 747-47 UF aircraft. Is that kind of a, a special configuration, Rick? Um, the 47 UF, I've never never seen that before. 747 dash well it's a uh just a so 400 right it's a 400 it's probably probably a uh i'd have to look it up but it's uh it's probably bcf uh converted freighter okay uh so, registration um, 415 mike charlie flight number 8086 operating from uh dubai to hong kong shortly after touchdown on runway 25 right in hong kong the aircraft First veered to the right and then to the left of the runway center line. About five seconds later, it uh, reversed abruptly towards the runway center line. As the airline aircraft veered to the right, 
The aircraft also rolled so that the bottom of the number three and number four engine nacelles made contact with the runway uh, before the aircraft was realigned with the runway center line. The lower section of the engine nacelles and number four engine was damaged. Damaged. There was no engine fire and abnormal indications on the engine instruments. The aircraft taxied onto the cargo stand. The damage to the underside of the inlet cowl, fan cowl, and translating cowl of number three and number four engines was due to the combined effects of a sharp right yaw and significant right roll corresponding to the exaggerated inputs made by the pilot flying. Uh, contributing factors, according to the report by the AAIA, the pilot flying made a sudden change of his crosswind landing technique from crab to decrab before the short final because he considered that the line check captain that he was sitting next to expected him to do a decrab landing. And number two, prior to the top of descent, the pilot flying and the pilot monitoring did not discuss crosswind landing technique or what would be expected during landing. So I just thought it was an interesting, some interesting comments there about um, what happened. And perhaps the pilot flying was using a crosswind landing technique that he didn't normally employ and things responded differently than he was expecting. I don't know. I've never flown, obviously, a 747, never landed Hong Kong. So I, I really don't have a lot to to contribute. Yeah, I remember when this happened. Actually, I, I landed uh, um, um, right behind this aircraft um, on the parallel runway because I, we're, we're, we're going to the right side as well. But then this happened. They gave us the left side. Um, and uh, just to correct myself, it's not it's not a bone converted freighter; it's a straight freighter. But oh, okay. uh, I don't I don't yeah I don't know what the uh, the the dash uh, well dash four is obviously four hundred seven mm-hmm. uh, uniform foxtrot. That I don't know foxtrot obviously freighter, but I don't know what four you means. But uh, mm-hmm. anyway, unusual. Um, it's an unusual unusual. unusual. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. <laughs> so the, by the, the, oh, the, before you continue, Rick, yeah, just, yeah. Uh, you mentioned that uh, th- this was some time ago. This was a couple of years ago, thirty. Oh August, yeah, yeah. This uh, is this is back in uh, back in the eight, at least two years ago. I've been yeah. off, I've been off the seven forty seven for for almost a year now. So yeah, I, I remember when this happened. It's been that long already? Oh yeah. Wow. Yeah. Time okay. time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> um. So the the seven forty seven is a is a, is a very interesting airplane uh, in crosswind conditions now. Uh, the 400, you're talking about a wingspan of uh, 212 feet, 7 inches. Uh, the Dash 8 has got uh, 225 feet, and then you have um, engines slung in pods under the wing. So uh, airplanes like these are airplanes that are very finicky when it comes to um, um, crosswind landing technique. And uh, in the simulator, which we, we it's another one of those maneuvers we practice all the time. Um, and uh, my good friend John Jester, who's probably watching, will be able to attest to this. Um, yeah, he's in the we, live audience. <laughs> <laughs> we we like to uh, shout out to John, good good friend of mine, good good guy. Yeah, uh, we like to uh, hey, we like to <laughs> we like to uh, fly with as much across one as we can as we can handle to see what the airplane does and 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 um, to you know, to get that practice because you know it gets to the point where you might encounter situations like these out on the line now. Um, crosswind, uh, values are not really a, a, a limitation for the aircraft. It's just what the, uh, wind was the day that the airplane was certified. So that's why it's called a demonstrated crosswind. Um, and then the 747, as I said, having, you know, a very, very long wing and, uh, uh and, uh, wing mounted engines, you have to be careful. And so what you do 
is you, you you fly you fly the final approach in what's called a crab, and basically what that means is that you point the nose of the aircraft into the wind. Now, it's important it's important to uh, to um, uh, to to note here that the the autopilot does not control the rudder um, until fifteen hundred feet radio altitude. Below fifteen hundred feet radio altitude, all three autopilots are going to connect independently to independent uh, power sources, independent uh, uh, hydraulic sources, all, all that stuff. And then the rudder will go, will, will, will become a part of the equation. And the, the reason behind that is because um, below 1,500 feet, if you leave the autopilot on, the aircraft assumes, unless you disconnect the autopilot, that you're going to be doing an auto land. And so the rudder needs to be a part of the equation. So usually what happens is that below 1,500 feet, you get to 500 feet, the airplane on autopilot is going to do what's called a decrab maneuver, which means that the, 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 the autopilot system will try to align itself with the runway, depending on what the crossman conditions are. Uh, and it'll introduce what's called a side slip. So basically, the, um, the wing on the side where the wind's coming from will go down. And then the rudder is going to actuate and uh, deflect to try to align the nose of the airplane to the runway. Now, my technique, what I do is I'll disconnect the autopilot below I get before I get to fifteen hundred feet, so uh, so that the rudder is not a factor in, uh, in 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 my in my final approach, and then that way I try to keep what the autopilot gave me, and I disconnect the autopilot early enough to gauge what the wind is doing to the plane and to and to and to gauge the the energy state of the plane and the thrust and all that. Oh, there you go. There's the rickets. <laughs> <laughs> visual rickets exactly visual rickets it was really brief there it was like a, a subliminal message it was like beep, just in case you weren't already thinking of it. exactly exactly <laughs> and so um the idea with the 7-4 is to try to is, is to try to land in that crab and then decrab the airplane on the ground because if you if you try to if you try to introduce that side slip very close to the ground first you're changing um the i guess the 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 your path vector over the ground and you're introducing flight control inputs very close to the ground. And if in case, in, in case of, of, of any gust or any, or any sudden, sudden change of wind speed uh, or direction that might also play uh, against you. So just leave it in a crab, touch down in a crab and decrab on the ground. And the plane does a fantastic job. I mean, every, every strong crosswind I've ever, you know, flown has, has always been in a crab and these, and these landing gears, I mean, they can take they can take a lot of uh, a lot of abuse. I mean, you can you can land side loaded, no problem on the seven forty seven. When it, according to a um, a Boeing uh, PowerPoint presentation, um, they said that uh, every Boeing product uh, is certified to lab uh, land in a full crab at the demonstrated crosswind limit. Except the Long Beach products, <laughs> which, which means not the Poor McDonnell Douglas <laughs> airplanes. They can't vouch for those. Except the ones that aren't actually Boeings. Okay. Yeah, the ones that aren't Boeings. <laughs> <laughs> but they call them Boeings, Boeings, but they're not Boeings. Was that a Nick slip there? It was a Nick slip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't but, want to. Uh, you, don't, you don't want to land a um, <laughs> the airplane that I fly in a in a full crab. Um, that's nah, not a good idea at all. No. And yeah. poorly. 
Yeah, it'll be a yeah. bad situation. Actually, the, 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 flight crew, the flight crew training manual on the, on the 747 says that uh, um, uh, bank angles are more than five degrees. Uh, you, you start getting into pot strike territory there. So, and, and, and it's, it's really hard. I mean, I mean That's you're, not you're very on that much final, at all, five degrees? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I mean, it's, it's, it's barely noticeable. And mm-hmm. you're, I mean, you're looking out the window, and uh, I don't know of any pilot that's looking at, at their, you know, their attitude indicator to see what their bank angle is in very short final. I mean, nobody does that. So just, yeah. just, yeah, but just particularly bring it in on a touchdown when you've compressed the oleo. <laughs> you, exactly. Exactly. You've right. got very little <laughs> at all. Oh yeah. Very, you know, no wiggle room whatsoever. So just bring yeah. it in in a crab touchdown. And you know, even on the, I remember the triple seven was another, another, I believe the triple seven was, was six, six degrees with compressed oleo struts. And then the seven, six, it's not as bad because the, the, the engines don't sit that close to the ground. But uh, I tell you, on the Dash 8, the 747-8, the number two and number uh, three engines are uh, a little over a meter off the ground. So a couple feet off the ground. So it's not much. Nick, well, need for yes, you to, um, to find a picture of a crab and then like pilots flying the crab. So you're like flying <laughs> in a crab. There you go. Thinking, that you would don't be want perfect. a picture of the pilots decrabbing. Or decrabbing. I don't know exactly. <laughs> Is that like, that would uh, be. And that's what we'll- Weird visual. I like it. <laughs> yeah. oh, just Tur- gonna be turkeys, a turkeys, and crabs. <laughs> yeah. Both delicious. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. True. All right. Um, any other comments uh, regarding the incident? And uh, how- I've nearly uh, whacked a uh, pod uh, oh, yeah? in a three forty in a very strong crosswind, mm. uh, and we, you know, Airbus obviously not built as well as Boeing's because uh, the advice technique was. In, in a are, are very right, strong Nick? crosswind, <laughs> yeah, you had to. What did you just? You say? had to remove. Uh, they liked you to remove half the crab, so uh, half the angle of uh, the nose, um, and it was just really to uh, uh, you know relieve the strain on the undercarriage as you uh, touch down. But I was uh, hit, I hit turbulence in in a very strong crosswind uh, in the teeth of an oncoming typhoon in Shanghai. And uh, we got so much uh, wing drop that I was convinced we'd uh, hit the number one engine on the ground. Uh, in fact, so was the so was the German engineer who saw us in, uh, because when he came on the headset, I said, uh, "Could you go and check the number one engine, see if there's any grass in it?" <laughs> <laughs> was that and the he one? He said, "Ah." I, I already have. <laughs> he was watching you land. Yeah, he was. he was. Well, like, we oh. were the only airplane in the sky. The oh. wind was so strong. Uh, and he wow. said, uh, you're okay, Captain. You're okay. Was that the one that your uh, your dad was uh, there waiting for you as well? Yeah, that's right. And that you was had the a, place I came to dinging an Airbus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We I remember had a bottle of whiskey. <laughs> oh, man. I tell you, I mean, every every time um, I'd go, I'd go flying, I'd go strap a seven four seven on, and go flying. Well, I mean, the first thing I'd look was uh, even if it was a, uh, even if it was my leg flying, because usually the guy that does the uh, the the actual leg doesn't do the walk around. But I, uh, I'd still go out there and look at the drain masts um, on the because uh, the bulk of our seven forty sevens are uh, uh, GE GE equipped engines, and uh, the CF sixes have these little drain masts at the bottom of them. And if uh, if they were all there, then you know we were good to go because that's the first thing to go. I mean, the the first thing that happens is that you uh, you file that drain mass stuff, and then the engine becomes very very aerodynamic without that uh, <laughs> without that drain mass. So you want to see the drain mass there. So uh, you're just doing them so, a favor. 
Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, Captain Al, thank you very much for uh, that contribution. <laughs> <laughs> he said he had crabs once. <laughs> okay. Just once? Wow. That's what Niff said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know oh, what? Dear. Let's let's skip down to uh, F since we're going to stay on the uh, Boeing and the 747 theme. Um, and this is... Uh, Sad. It says sad. headline. Sad. sad situation. Retired British Airways 747 catches fire. Uh, let's see. In July, British Airways announced that it would retire all of its Boeing 747-400s prematurely. Given oh, that's embarrassing. Given the impact that the pandemic has had on air travel demand, the airline had 28 747s, which were an average of 23 years old. As any av geek can attest to, seeing airlines retire this iconic plane is a sad sight. Haven't played that in a while. Um, (laughs) Anyway, the uh, British Airways has stored many of its 747s at Castellon Airport in Spain, which has the airport code CDT. Well, unfortunately today, one of these parked 747s caught fire and it caused some significant damage to the plane. Firefighters were called to extinguish the fire, and all the planes in the immediate vicinity were moved. It would appear that the aircraft in question has the registration code G-Charlie India Victor David, or Delta, C-I-V-D. While I'm sure it's a coincidence, you can't spell COVID without a C, an I, a V, or a D, all of which are letters in the registration God. Definitely just coincidence. Over already, please. <laughs> Definitely just coincidence. That is like really weird. Hashtag isn't 2020. It? Yeah. Hashtag <laughs> 2020. Uh, that's that's yeah exactly. That 2020 in a picture right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look mm-hmm. at that picture. That's sad. Uh, I don't know. It looks it's like so something sad. caught fire right b- b- below the cockpit and above the, the cockpit. first mm-hmm. cl- or maybe behind the cockpit and then, or below maybe. Yeah, it's hard to tell where the fire is. It the cockpit ceiling. I well, you know what. Um, I thought it looked like, you know, that lower part is oh, where yeah, the fire is actually coming from. Oh, yeah, maybe lower first. I'm looking at the picture a little better now. Mm-hmm. Between, the, uh, between the top and the and the first class. That's uh, probably the forward yeah. galley. Yeah, <laughs> probably so. Anyway, whatever it is, it wasn't supposed to happen like that, and uh, that's sad. Um, I'm not sure how much damage it did to the airplane, but I would imagine it was significant. Yeah, and it's exactly, not going anywhere. Yep. Exactly one year ago, I took a flight on a british airways 747 with my brothers we went to germany for like just right before thanksgiving last year i remember that for a couple days nice i'm really glad that i uh splurged for the first class or for the uh, business class upgrade there a little upstairs very nice a little little upstairs action nice very nice did you leave your curling iron on that airplane plugged in uh, you know, I didn't Oops. know where it went to. <laughs> thought it was lost for good. Uh, might have something to do with it. Found it. Curling, curling iron. Found it. Actually, I thought uh, sitting in the um, uh, lower deck, uh, up right up the pointy end, I always thought one of the best places to be in the whole aircraft. I, mm. I always said it was because you were like so private up there. It was like being in a little. Yeah, that was first jet. first class. I couldn't quite afford that upgrade. It was a little oh, yeah, not only that, but if you're sitting at the very, very front, you actually get there before the crew does. So it's that's true. Cool. Uh, that's very true. <laughs> very true. Yeah, and you can warm your feet on the uh, back beam from the radar as well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's some kind right of shielding there. there. Yeah, you look. Uh, you're just glowing today. Why am I yeah, glowing? Yeah, I don't know. Illuminated. Oh, uh, right. Um, actually, I think we'll tie back into um, Germany later on in the show. 
I think actually. we will. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, item C, jumping back, uh, final report. And I believe we did talk about this um, shortly after it occurred originally uh, January of this year of the, the old hashtag 2020, uh, where a uh, Emirates A380 over Mozambique uh, encountered turbulence uh, associated with convective activity. And uh, the final report is out. And basically, they kind of uh, criticized the crew for really not utilizing their radar to its fullest extent and uh, not really noticing the convective activity kind of creeping up. Perhaps they had the range, I think, on a too low of a range setting, didn't have enough time to notice the uh, the magenta uh, display showing uh, turbulence associated with um, what I think they called it wet, wet, wet turbulence or something like that. So in other words, turbulence associated with convective activity. And then um, when they saw the magenta on the 40 mile range, <laughs> you're getting pretty close at, at normal speeds. I'd say that's about five minutes or so of uh, time at the 40 mile range. And uh, they did manage to get the seatbelt light on and asked the uh, crew to suspend service, the cabin crew, uh, but they didn't have much time to uh, accomplish all of that. And there was a, a serious uh, passenger injury. Um, but uh, yeah, the final report is uh, issued and basically, you know, as I said, kind of spanked them a little bit for really not paying close attention to the fact that uh, they're, and they knew, you know, when they planned the flight um, that they would be flying over convective activity over there off the uh, Eastern African Mozambique uh, area of the continent. And, uh, and I mean, you're talking prime, uh, prime uh, ITC right there, uh, right through that belt there. So, uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If, you, if you're going to get it, that's where it's going to be. Oh, absolutely. And uh, they've got one of the world's most sophisticated radars fitted to an airliner. So mm-hmm. that really is very little uh, in the way of um, excuse there. Mm-hmm. Let's see. I, I find that, I find that um, the um, uh, usually when I'm flying through, through, through the ITZ, which is all the time, um, uh, what works best for me, particularly at night, and uh, when I, you know, and 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 in IMC uh, instrument uh, meteorological conditions, there is to uh, bring my uh, navigational display uh, range down to about uh, eighty miles, and so forty miles is the halfway point, and I'll have my FO um, fly in uh, one hundred sixty miles, or where eighty miles is the halfway point, and then that way you can kind of uh, you know see what's coming on the fo screen and then on my screen i can kind of fine tune uh and then yeah, another thing a um, little trick that um uh, instructor pilot taught me many many years ago while flying through between north and south america which was uh, what i used to do the, you know majority of the time was that when you are anticipating um weather deviations because of um convective activity or cbs uh, particularly in Boeing's, uh, there is a knob around the head and select button that where you can select what your bank angle is going to be, uh, only for the head and select mode of it. And they used to tell me always when you're flying around the, these areas, always put that head and selector uh, bank angle uh, bank angle selector to 25 degrees, so that when you begin a turn, uh, 
you're you know you get that airplane back to 25 degrees and away from that convectivity as quickly as possible because if you turn if you leave the um the the bank selector uh, to an uh, auto your bank angle is a function of your uh of your speed and so the faster you go the less your bank angle is to give you that standard rate turn um so um yeah the downside so of that, that though that, is that um you kind of start falling out of the sky very rapidly and when you use the 25 degrees um, of bank it, no i'm just kidding <laughs> it's possible <laughs> i guess <laughs> Yeah, but uh, but uh, and then the other thing, I mean, another interesting thing here is that uh, I mean, I don't know in Airbus is how it works, but in Boeing's, uh, you actually have a, a, a turn vector. It tells you it, it predicts it's got it's, it's, it's a little line. It's got three segments to it, and it'll tell you what your heading is going to be in 30, 60 and 90 seconds. And so as you turn and I use that a lot when I go when I have to, you know, shoot the gap between uh between uh, uh, weather, obviously knowing that there's nothing on the other end, because somebody's going to say soccer hole. I said, no, no soccer hole. I know what's on the other end. <laughs> um, so I, I'll, I'll use that turn vector there to to kind of guide me, and and it does a really good job. It works off of the uh, off of uh, inertial inputs to the uh, to to the system there, so it predicts what your path is going to be around uh, convective activity. So I even have one of those on my little well. jet now. Look at that! Yeah, I know. Ooh, like all the fancy. big guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's like what is that little squiggly green thing right there what is that doing telling me <laughs> uh you nice. should have gotten that on day two in training um all right so uh the uh moral to the story there is pay attention people i got i guess they left it in auto mode and i, I guess the uh, airbus 380 has a very sophisticated radar system However, they do recommend that when you're approaching an area such as this, uh, that you go into a manual mode and start adjusting the uh, tilt of the radar and uh, uh, the gain of the radar manually so you can kind of get a much better idea of what you're about to confront. And apparently yeah, and, and you know, funny funny it. you mentioned that because I, I've, I've noticed that the, the 747, the Dash 8, and the 777 and the 787 have the, the, the exact same weather radar. It's just a phenomenal weather radar but I, but i feel like on in uh, with the gain in auto it tends to uh it tends to um to be too much it makes 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 a a, a little cb turn into you know a, a storm for the ages so it's it's uh i think sometimes it's a little too much so yeah just just obviously you know play with it play with the leave it in auto see what it looks like um and then um go off of auto and then you know play around with the gain and 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 the tilt and there's a whole, I mean, we could go into an entire episode of how to, it's actually uh, not too long ago, I, I reached out to Nick and asked him about what is, uh, what his, um, is his uh, method of um, uh, playing with the uh, antenna tilt was. I mean, we could. Yeah, go I said you point it fully up. And then just blunder around with your eyes. <laughs> exactly. Dumb and happy. <laughs> exactly right. And Ain't so, nothing out here. If, if it's, if, if, I don't no, see anything. Let's exactly. If nothing's forward. painted, just direct. <laughs> go for it. Yeah, faster, faster. So, full speed ahead. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But uh, yeah, just just play with the game, play with the uh, play with the tilt, and, uh, and and see what works best. Because as I said earlier, uh, sometimes auto gain uh, it, it really paints a picture that's uh, that's that's not at all what's what what's out there. So it's a bit too much. But uh, yeah. I I was yeah. uh, very much the same way, uh, Rick. Because I think uh, to have it on high gain uh, for detection. So you don't miss something that's uh, a little growing QNIM that's going to worry you. You high game for the detection, and then once you've seen something, you go right. Let's tweak it down and try and find the mm -hmm. accurate limits of it. 
and then use the scanner tilt to try and find the top and bottom of it uh, and assess the damage and then start thinking about, you know. Oh, by the way, we always used to have uh, one scale on 80 miles and the other scale on 40 miles. So one pilot mm-hmm. was looking long range, the other was looking short range in case something popped up that would be missed. Uh, and uh, on the 340, our radars interleaved so that, uh, you know, you would get different angles for different sweeps so that, you know, it was very little chance of missing something. But uh, even so, uh, it was always important to have a game plan for whether well ahead of uh, arriving there and get those down yeah and also uh, yeah and i was gonna say also think about the fact that these uh these uh particularly when you fly through the itz during the day and it's hot out i mean these things grow and you can you can watch them grow you know so you gotta they can outclimb us no problem oh absolutely (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. i mean you're talking about i mean what 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 might be a viable plan you know 80, even 40 miles out might not be a viable plan 20 miles out. So, uh, always, always, always err on the, on the side of caution. If, uh, I I always like, you know, just obviously if, if, if you can help it and if, if there's, if, if you can do it, obviously the, the way to go is, is upwind to the upwind side of the storm. So that way, all that stuff that's blowing off the storm is, is, is going the other way. But if you can't, um, yeah, if you have to deviate on the, on the downwind side of the storm, obviously give yourself, um, uh, a white berth. There's a lot of room to, uh, to stay away from that, uh, from that, um, you know, hail and turbulence because, you know, I mean, I tell you storms are no joke. You, that's something that you have to yeah. you know, be really careful with. Well, this week's and this episode's, um, public service announcement, uh, could be summed up by just play with it. <laughs> the radar of course yep exactly if you've got nothing better to do have a twiddle <laughs> show title all right um, now we've got the show title sorry you can't change it <laughs> oh darn it uh, yeah, we have so much more material though i'm sure we'll come up with something <laughs> very clever i'm already looking for pictures of crab oh boy okay um item d final report incident strasburg airport april 12th 2019 uh, let's see. I need to make this uh, enlarge this uh, font. <laughs> I knew as soon as that started coming say. out of my mouth, I'm thinking, how do I get out of this? Yeah, <laughs> uh, let's see here. Let me get out of this. Okay. Um, a Volo Volotia flight. Am I saying that right? I have never pronounced that. Uh, Volotia. Name. It's a Spanish, Spanish airline. Okay. Um, it was a Boeing 717 was on final for runway five at Strasbourg Ensheim Airport, France. At the same time, a hop, hop flight um, 53526, a Bombardier CRJ-701 was cleared for takeoff from runway five. At 1.5 nautical miles, the crew of the 717 decided to perform a go-around while the RJ was in the process of taking off. The minimum separation was 0.4 nautical miles vertically, 740 meters, and 100 feet horizontally. (laughs) That's close. That's 30 meters. Uh, TCAS resolution advisories were generated during the incident, obviously. Um, The... uh, Let's see the following fact. Let's see. Where's I thought there was a better um, narrative here. Uh, let me look at the uh, actual. We'll have the uh, report, the final report in the show notes. Um, they were coming in, and uh, basically the um, the the controller saw that the RJ was getting close to 
takeoff position. And really, uh, admittedly, uh, from the controller, uh, there was really no reason to expedite this guy's takeoff, but he just figured, I can probably squeeze this this uh, RJ out uh, for takeoff before the 717 lands. And so he asked if they were ready for an immediate takeoff, and they said yes, but um, I guess they weren't completely aware of the fact that there was a 717 out there on relatively short final, uh, so they didn't really expedite um, as much as the tower controller anticipated. Uh, started the roll, so when they told the um, uh, 717 on final that or you know had not issued landing clearance and had issued the takeoff clearance for the RJ, uh, I believe the uh, Spanish uh, 717 captain uh, made some kind of a sarcastic sounding comment like you know oh boy like this is not going to work um and at some point the captain decided that this was not going to work although i think that had it had he let the thing um play out uh probably could have landed uh and the uh, rj off the runway by the departure end uh, as their rules require based on this uh Final report reading. Uh, a couple other things. Well, anyway, so this is the situation. He's decided to go around on short final. The RJ is well into their takeoff roll and perhaps even airborne at this point. And both airplanes are on the same tra- trajectory, basically going straight out. And the controller tells the 717 to turn to a certain heading, but it's essentially the, the runway heading. The departure procedure that the RJ is going to fly an RNAV departure procedure is also basically straight ahead until you get to a certain point and then you make a slight left turn. And uh, the controller basically told the uh, 717 just to, you know, fly the certain heading. I don't know why. I mean, if I were the controller, I think I would have, you know, given them a, a divergent heading to kind of get some separation here because you have an airplane that's climbing slightly in a miss and you have the RJ, which is climbing much more rapidly on its initial takeoff and they're basically in the same uh trajectory straight ahead off the runway um the 717 crew said that they didn't have the rj in sight i'm not sure why Uh, maybe it was below their cockpit vision line i'm not sure if it were me i mean we can talk about this for quite a bit i think but if it were i in the uh 717 um, and I know that this airplane ahead of me, cause I've just issued the miss because of the fact that there's a, uh, an RJ taking off ahead of me. I think I would have offset even if somebody didn't tell me to offset. I mean, that would be my instinctual action, uh, would be to kind of offset understanding that this airplane ahead of me is climbing, you know, straight ahead at, at rapidly. Uh, but, um, they just complied with the heading uh, issued by the uh, tower controller, I guess, assuming that the tower controller knew what the heck he was doing but it became evident pretty clearly um shortly after all this uh, transpired that uh, the airplanes were basically heading for the same space um and at the same time Uh, i think liz had the uh, the chart from the uh, final report up on the um on the video here um screen and you can see, as I said in the in the report narrative, they got really, really close to each other, and they were thought they did follow the TCAS resolution advisories, the RAs. Thankfully, because if they had not, I'm thinking that this could have been a midair and uh, been a bad mm-hmm. situation. 
I don't know. What do you all think about this? Oh, the other thing, uh, another factor here, which I think is a, a critical one, is the fact that um, the crew of the RJ uh, and the uh, controllers. controllers were mm-hmm. were, were uh, using French. The language. Yeah, French I was actually language. just going to mention that part of it. Yeah, well, go ahead. That, well, I mean, so that just decreases the situational awareness of the <clears throat> crew of the 717. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, they didn't know until much later what the uh, actual plan was there. Right. Now, I think that the first, if I remember, I, I, it's been a couple of days since I've read this. I think the first officer was of French origin and the captain was Spanish. Uh, but I think even in the report, the the captain, the Spanish captain is saying, why are we not using the standard language, uh, English, so that everybody is on the same page here? But. I guess, you know, we've talked about this before. Communication is so important. And I strongly believe that even if it's allowed in certain countries to use the local language with the crews, like you go up to Montreal and they're speaking French and I have no idea what they're saying to the other yeah. crews. They're having this conversation. I don't know. Maybe it's safety related. Maybe not. Probably not. But it would be nice to hear what's going on because I always try to form that mental picture in my head of where all the airplanes are and what they're saying and how they're communicating and that kind of thing. And I think when you don't, when you use a language that's one that you don't understand, that's not helping the situation. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, in my experience uh, flying around the world, um, it's 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 the flight crew that initiates that uh, that that. Um I mean, the conversation, right? Because you're the one that checks in with um, mm-hmm. whatever HC facility is. And that, uh, um, what comes to mind is, 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 you know, flying in South America where um, the Spanish speaking countries down there, um, if you initiate um, your transmission in Spanish, ATC will respond in Spanish. If you uh, begin with English, they'll respond in English and stay, stay with English. And, and, and that makes, you know, uh, when everyone's on the same page, it makes it makes all the difference in the world. Because the, as, as Steffi said, um, yeah. situational awareness is is very, very, very important when you're when you're flying around, you know, moving targets around you. And um, I tell you, I mean, flying down there and and speaking the language uh, certainly does help you because you understand what's going on. But it doesn't help. It's doesn't really it's not really in the interest of safety because uh, other people don't understand what's going on and it and flying for example in china where you know these guys and gals uh speak in chinese with their and and and, and captain nick can attest to this um they speak in chinese uh, and and on their on their atc exchanges it, it really makes for you know Oh yeah, I'm not, it's, it just makes me uneasy because I don't know what the I mean. They're particularly they're when uh, every now and you know, again where they, they are, drop, what they're doing, what they're mm-hmm, yeah. What they're yeah they drop the name do. of a waypoint in the middle of a Chinese conversation, and you're going to the same waypoint, and you're going, yeah, and exactly. What, what time are you going to be? What height? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> really annoying. Exactly. I mean, you got that. You know, you have that stupid offset they always give you. You, know, you go, you enter Chinese airspace, and like right off the bat, you know, offset five miles to the right, and you're like, you're going, why? What the, what the heck? And then you know, you have to change the meters, and then everyone's speaking Chinese, and you know, and then and, and that's on the yond route portion. It's, I mean, you you go into you go into places like Shanghai or Beijing or or, or any other. You know, every airport in China is a big airport. And there's a lot of traffic. Uh, you start talking, um, you start uh, dealing with with traffic in, in close proximity. It starts getting a little uncomfortable, at least for me. Um, you know, not knowing what the heck is going on. And then, as, as as Captain Jeff said, 
uh yeah the uh tcas 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 for the win here you know it's yep. uh uh it's always mm-hmm. always always do what the tcas has because um you know th- these 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 two uh these two aircraft uh their 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 tcas draft collision avoidance systems are talking to each other so the way to deconflict is by following directions because uh the, the tcas on your jet will tell you to do something and it'll tell the other guy or gal to do the exact opposite thing to keep you away so always follow what the tcas says yep. in spite of what atc might tell you and there's there's been many i mean one accident comes to mind it was that uh, DHL seven five and that Tupolev one hundred fifty four uh, over Germany, I believe it was, where uh, the uh, TCAS told them to do one thing, and then ATC told them to do another, and they followed ATC instructions, and sadly uh, that uh, that uh, turned into a tragedy. So, um, moral to the story: yeah. never listen to ATC. No, wait a minute. No, we're not saying that. I'm sorry. Yeah, take that back. Um, Al, Captain Al, uh, in our live audience, uh, made an interesting point. It says, unfortunately. It is French law that ATC speak to French aircraft in French. Is that right? Oh, wow, I didn't know yeah. that. And uh, wow. that, um, let's see, there was something uh, additionally he said. There was a vote about this approximately 10 years ago, and despite best efforts, this law was not overturned. There have been numerous fatal accidents. Hmm. Hmm. The other thing I wanted to say is that the old curmudgeon now is the old crustacean. Uh, we've just changed. The old <laughs> <laughs> There's a, a very large like crab right behind I, Nick. I watch was out. just getting a bit of practice for my <laughs> crabbing approaches. Very yes. nice. Uh, you have a nice. That's exactly crab what there. they look like. <laughs> it's <laughs> very nice. Well, that's nice. Anyway, uh, if you want to read more about the report, uh, it's in the show notes from the uh, the BEA, and uh, again. Luckily, they averted a, a collision, but it always makes me nervous when I'm coming in and I'm seeing airplanes taking off either on the runway that I'm about to land on or a crossing runway. And I'm always trying to think ahead about, OK, what if this happens and I cannot continue to landing and I have to do something with the airplane ahead? Where am I going to go? What am I going to do? I'm always thinking about that kind of plan. But I don't. Is it just me or do you guys think that it was kind of odd that the crew that obviously was self-initiating the miss or the rejected landing or whatever you want to call it at this point uh, because of the airplane taking off ahead of them? I mean, it would, wouldn't it, as, as I said earlier, it'd be my natural inclination to just start taking a vector uh, off so that I'm not going to go straight ahead and go right underneath or right above where this airplane is. Well, especially is. if you can't see them anymore, too. Yeah. You know, if they're at that angle from where you're at. Mm-hmm. Yep. I want to keep my uh, eyes on I, them. I'd been very reluctant to do a miss because I anticipated anticipated the problem as I got close to the runway. If I got into the flare and I'm still not convinced it's safe, then I might go mm-hmm. around. But to do it earlier, uh, just in the anticipation, and as you know, as soon as your nose comes up, you're going to lose sight of that guy. You haven't a clue where he is, really, uh, other than TCAS. Really nasty. So... I'm not too sure about that decision. Yeah, not a not yeah, a good decision. I'm with you there, Nick mm-hmm. and, and yeah, Jeff. I, I agree. agree with that. Okay, good. We're on the all on the same page. And uh, finally, our last item, and I'm trying to find. Let's see if I hit this. Yeah, that's it. The uh, vacuum, the cleaner, vacuum uh, sound effect. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, this is uh, has something to do with drones. Um, a Hollywood man, Hollywood, California, uh, charged after his drone hits a Los Angeles Police Department helicopter. 
Uh, a Hollywood man was arrested Thursday for allegedly operating a drone that crashed into a Los Angeles Police Department helicopter, forced an emergency, an emergency landing two months ago, the U.S. Attorney's Office said. FBI agents arrested Andrew Hernandez, 22, on a complaint charging him with one count of unsafe operation of an unmanned aircraft, a statement said. Uh, by the way, this is from the Associated Press. Um, Let's see. The complaint states that the police officers were responding to a burglary call at a Hollywood pharmacy on September 18th, and they requested air support. The police helicopter was approaching the pharmacy when the pilot saw the drone and unsuccessfully attempted to avoid it. The helicopter's nose, antenna, and bottom cowlings were damaged. The complaint states that if the drone had struck the main rotor, it could have been brought. Uh, it could have brought down the helicopter. Officers found parts of the drone on the ground and a vehicle that had been damaged as it fell from the sky. The drone's camera and memory card led to identification of Hernandez as the operator, uh, the U.S. Attorney's Office said. It wasn't immediately known if Hernandez has an attorney who could speak on his behalf. He was expected to make an initial federal court appearance Thursday afternoon. That's interesting. It's a U.S. Attorney's Office and a federal um issue why i wonder why that is i'm not a lawyer so i don't understand all the law aspects of this but um i don't know maybe because it's uh it's got to do with the the fa and the fa is federal i think it'd be federal okay that makes sense okay well that's that's good news that um you know they're actually making some progress on occasion of uh finding um people that are inappropriately or illegally operating drones um you know, but again, I don't know exactly. I mean, was this operating illegally? Was it above 400 feet? I'm, I'm assuming it must have been. It doesn't say in the story. I think but, so. No, you know, it doesn't give details. But you know, if you're, you're away from an airport keep, uh, and you're in your blood, well, keep your drone visually in sight, and yeah, as you soon as you realize yeah. there may be a conflict, you're supposed to get it out of the way. Ah, so okay. I don't think there's going to be much of a defense there. Probably not. <laughs> Nope, I could see my drone, and I continued flying it directly into the police helicopter. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's probably that's not, not going to go defense. over very well. Not a good, no. <laughs> no. Yeah, you're not going to win that one, Mm-mm. for sure. Mm-mm. Yeah. Okay, well, that is it for... Did I, I didn't skip anything, did I? Because I, I, I kind of skipped around. I just want to make sure that we got it all. I think we did. Okay. Um, so now that means it's time for us to get all caught up with what has been happening with everyone since our last episode, the Getting to Know Us segment. I'm doing that because I don't remember the words. Um, so, let's see, last week... The words are getting to know you. Well, I know that know part, but, it, but we were already on the second. We, we were on the second stanza. Just, say, like me? just keep going. Over <laughs> like okay. Well, I, I probably had some idea what the words were. I just felt like doing. It's much easier for me. Um, so last week uh, we were mentioning that uh, Rick wasn't with us, and we weren't actually uh, sure exactly where um, Rick was at the time. Um, <laughs> But I don't know. Do you do you have any idea where you were, Rick? Well, I packed my uh, ukulele, and, uh, <laughs> and this uh, is a nice recording my, of Rick uh, singing. And my lay over here, and uh, 
Well, it's uh, as everybody knows, it's uh, it's high season right now for uh, for um, our us freighter guys and gals, and so uh, I put in for a little overtime flying, and uh, yeah, I was uh, shipped over to uh, to Hawaii for uh, for a couple of days for an overtime trip. So uh, so that was nice. And, I, and again, I wanted to say, I mean, it's uh, and I apologize because I mean sometimes. Uh, well, you know, flying gets in the way of the podcast, and uh, I know it, uh, how rude. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes that happens. And uh, <laughs> but um, but yeah, it was uh, it was good. Nice little uh, nice little trek across the uh, Pacific Ocean there with a uh, with a bit of a chatterbox sitting by my side the whole time, and that was interesting. <laughs> um, not that I don't like to uh, to have conversations in flight, but uh, if the flight's five hours long and uh, it's three hours and forty five minutes, and you're still going at it. Um, you know, it's, uh, you lost me about two hours ago. <laughs> I know. You just need this, the recorded responses. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. Mm. So I was, uh, I was, uh, uh-huh. Uh-huh. uh, Jeff and I were, were, were trying to figure out uh, how to, how to deal with that. And so I figured I'd, uh, I'd, I'd wear these cans, you know, my, my headphones here and, uh, <laughs> put a sticker on the right side that says, uh, shut up, please. Shut up. I, I sent, uh, Rick a little excerpt. Uh, uh look, I don't want to be rude, but, uh, I'm not much of a conversationalist and I'm, Pretty like to finish this article. A friend of mine wrote it, so... Don't let me stand in your way. Please don't let me stand in your way. The last thing I want to be remembered as is an annoying blabbermouth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, from uh, the movie. Uh, what, uh, probably one of the best Thanksgiving movies out there. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, yeah. That's on the uh, mm-hmm. it's on the menu for today, actually. Awesome. Hmm. So, uh, on, so yeah, on that's... Last that, night. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what I've been up to. Just flying, flying everybody's... Uh, Everybody's uh, Amazon uh, orders around. I'm I'm thinking I'm getting a, a notification already from YouTube that I've violated some kind of a copyright. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by well. the way, Rick, I've just ordered a heap of rubber dog shit from Hong Kong. So, uh, <laughs> well, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to ask somebody else for that one. I don't I don't oh, hate really? Hong Kong anymore. I thought yeah, that was sadly. your job. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. That's, a, that's a job for the uh, for the. For the four holders over there, uh, four engines. Well, what if you ordered uh, the uh, the the rubber dog poop uh, from Amazon? That could have been on your airplane, right? It could. I mean, it could have been. I mean, I mean, man, if I go some way, yeah, exactly. So it's not gonna it's not gonna get there on its own. So uh, yeah, I may have uh, I may have had some part in that. So uh, I'm proud of it too. So any big plans for uh, Thanksgiving today, uh, Rick? Um, Good meal uh, planned. Yeah, just probably a little little turkey, a couple of movies, um, just hanging hanging out, at, you know, in the house, and just uh, tomorrow football. So uh, yeah, that's basically it. Oh, you're not going to go out to uh, uh, all the stores for the Black Friday specials, or are we? Oh no, 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 no. No, they're probably letting us get out of our houses. But exactly yeah, that, and well, that, and we have we also have what what is it uh, Cyber Monday coming up? So. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, you get better deals there anyway. And I don't like to stay in line, stand in line with anybody. So I don't yeah. know. It's just, I don't uh, know. You don't who, like to fight people at Walmart at five yeah, o'clock exactly. in the morning? Yeah, that's exactly. Over, over a, uh, over an, uh, what was it? A Toaster 45-inch, uh, yeah, or 45-inch yeah. flat screen TV mm-hmm. for $25. So, but it's only going to be $29. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's not, it's not my, not my cup of tea, as Nick would say. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, Nick and cups of tea, what's been on uh, going on with you? Uh, I've been kept way too busy. I mean, we've obviously had builders in uh, because we've 
redecorating uh, the main lounge, a new fireplace, and uh, so new carpets and all that kind of stuff. So I've we've been crammed into my studio uh, for watching for our evening entertainment because that room's been out of place. So I haven't been able to do as much, and I've actually got a lot on right now. I've been uh, preparing for an interview with George Lee. I'm doing that for PTUK. Um, and uh, George uh, Lee, third time, three time World Open gliding champion, and not just three times, he did it three competitions running. Uh, so a feat that's never been achieved before. Fascinating bloke. But wasn't he He's also so- a comic book uh, writer? Um- <laughs> no, that's Stanley. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Wrong, wrong, wrong one. Exactly right. His brother. Yes. Uh, yeah, and he, he's not very good at martial arts either. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But but uh, I'm I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, he's got a lovely book, and uh, I've had to read that a couple of times, and then uh, work my way through some questions to ask him. He fascinating career uh, as as well. Um, flying for Cathay Pacific seven forty seven four hundreds. So uh, Rick will like him already. Um, <laughs> And uh, so I've been doing that, and then on top of that, I gave my talk to uh, uh, the Lions Club, and I've got the second half coming up on the 16th of December. If anyone uh, is vaguely interested in uh, listening to the second half of that, first half went down very well indeed, I think, uh, and um, the second half, it, it, you have to pay a small amount because it's uh, it's for charity. The Lions International, or Lions Club International, they're, they're big charitable organization around the world uh, doing good things. And of course they have not been able to do all their usual fundraising events. So this is just one way that they can make a little bit of money. Um, and uh, it'll be, I think seven thirty in the evening. So if you get in, uh, go to their website, uh, lions, uh, Inter- lions, international Guildford branch, Guildford, uh, in the UK, you'll find a way to uh, buy a ticket and get a, a link. When to is that, that going to be again? 16th, 16th of December. Okay, so why don't we do this? Uh, if you could give me the uh, link for the folks to head to, uh, and then they can get an invitation or a special link to uh, watch it, we can put that that's in the show notes. That's a great idea. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll give you the link to the, their website. Okay, great. So that's coming up. Uh, and then, um, amongst other things, had a contact from the lovely Andy Watson, who uh, is involved in the United Kingdom with the uh, Training Corps, uh, the Air Cadets, uh, um, a youth organization, air-minded youngsters, uh, with it, it's sort of angled towards the Royal Air Force, but uh, by no means is there any uh, um, commitment for Air Cadets to join the Royal Air Force, but they wear Air Force uniforms, and uh, they get flying and gliding uh, opportunities as well as regular meetings down at their units to learn about aviation and um, Andy is involved with them and he has contacted us saying that he has been trying to do a sort of virtual exchange with the um, CAP the Civil Air Patrol in the United States now they've got a cadet branch as well so, um, I, in fact, I'm not quite sure if, if the whole is CAP. I don't think it's all cadets because I know Armando uh, is a senior member and he's not a cadet. Nope. <laughs> anyway, uh, they're, they're younger version, uh, the, uh, the youngsters that uh, are part of that, in, particularly in Kentucky, 
uh, they've been units have been getting together and you know just communicating uh, to telling everyone about where they are and what they do they're hoping to have a christmas quiz and they've invited members of the airline pilot guy show because uh, andy is very nicely one of our listeners to uh, help uh, be quiz masters or perhaps team captains we're not sure exactly what part we're going to play but uh, that's going to be a bit of fun it'll be on a sunday between now and christmas we're not sure when but uh if you're interested uh, i'm not sure i'm pretty sure this will be in-house but certainly uh i think it may be that some people can can watch in as an audience i don't know uh, but i'm uh, sadly you won't be able to take part but anyway that's going to keep us busy we can always as tweet well. something out if uh, that's something that uh, people can tune into right? yeah exactly so uh andy by the way is uh, not only is he an rf officer with the uh, air cadets uh, he's also a duke of edinburgh award scheme leader which for those who don't know uh, outside of the united kingdom that is a sort of outward bound uh, um, organization run by the duke of edinburgh um and uh, you can go for different levels and make do different achievements whether it's simply just going for a a walk um, and navigating your way across the countryside or, or, you know, up to the level of sort of mountaineering and uh, survival courses and this kind of stuff. Very good. And he's also uh, acquiring the skill of a formal uh, mountain leader. So that's another high level of responsibility for him, but I'm sure he uh, would have fun with that. So uh, good luck to you uh, in all your endeavors, uh, Andy, and thanks for inviting us on board. I know, uh, um, Steph's thinking about it. I'm sure Rick mm-hmm. would be interested if he's in the country, and Jeff is also interested. So we'll hopefully have at least some of us on board for that to uh, have fun with the kids. Very good. That's very awesome. good. As I said, we'll uh, yeah. have a link to that uh, when we get it in, uh, and more information in the show notes. And follow us on uh, the social meds, and that way you'll be able to also be apprised of that sort of thing. Um, Steph. Your turn. Yeah, my turn. Yeah. So in the last week, what have I gone up to? Um, did a bit of flying last weekend, so that was good. Saturday was beautiful. Sunday was nice, but quite overcast. Um, I was tasked with flying. There was a um, canopy course uh, being being held at the drop zone. So uh, a little bit different. They usually only want to go to five or 6,000 feet, um, sometimes only 4,000 feet AGL, because um, the goal is just to do their jump and do all their canopy work and work on um, improving canopy flying skills. So it's a lot of um, up and down and up and down and up and down because those are shorter flights. So um, stayed busy doing all of that. Um, and actually that worked out well on Sunday because um, the ceiling was about 5,500 feet most of the day. So we were able to get the canopy course completed, but they weren't able to do a lot of like tandems and other fun jumps. So I stayed busy and that was, that was good. Um, flying the, the Kodiak and actually probably the last time that that Kodiak might be flying skydivers, interestingly enough. Um, it, um, we were using it, um, it was on lease to us and it was for sale the entire time and has been sold. And I think it is being converted back to just regular passenger carrying and it's going to South Africa is the plan. So I'm sad to see the the Kodiak. What a shame you can't take it there. That's going to be an interesting That'd flight. Yeah, that would be a, a little bit of an interesting flight. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Talk I went up to Chicago to, uh, to have the uh, seats and everything else put back in it and take out the jump door, put a regular door back in. 
probably put a big giant fuel tank in that sucker too. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's that. Um, I don't know. I have to work on getting checked out in the caravan and other aircraft now. So not too big of a deal, but um, it was a good weekend overall. Actually, one load in the um, 182 as well towards the end of the day, just for fun. So um, what else since then? Just still the same, busy, working, Thanksgiving day to day, looking forward to a nice um, kind of appropriately socially distanced um, and small gathering with my neighbors. We're going to combine our efforts cooking. Actually, they're doing like 90% of the cooking and I'm just contributing some rolls and an appetizer in the form of like some cut up veggies (laughs) and dip. And I made some deviled eggs, which I'd never done Mm. before. And they turned out pretty good. I love deviled eggs. And I also tried to make a pumpkin pie, which did not turn out very good. So after we're done here, I'm going to try another one. And <laughs> or you can just go to Publix and get one and say, you Well, know, I do have it. I do have a purchase one from the grocery <laughs> okay. store just in case it fails. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I've got enough um I have enough extra um uh, pie crusts and, and pumpkin pie canned pumpkin pie, then I'm gonna try one more and nice. see. I, I do not claim to be a good baker, chef, cook. Um that's not my skill set. Earlier you were talking uh, about canapes and I was thinking, oh, this is an interesting uh, cooking segment we're talking about here. But then I realized you were talking about parachutes. Canopies. 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 Okay, Not gotcha. Canop- mm. Yeah. Gotcha. Slightly different. Uh, yeah, a little uh, bit different. So. The, uh, the latter um, are not as tasty. No, yeah, they're, it would they're be not uh, a bit edible. embarrassing if you pulled your ripcord and out came a volovo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. A little stringy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little inconvenient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's what I've been up to. That's kind of the plan. Um, this weekend looks really nice as well. So, and unfortunately, I got talked into working tomorrow, which I'm not really happy about. Um, well, I originally had plans to, you know, I think all of us had different plans for the holiday this year, and they got scrapped. I'm not traveling or doing work, anything, work, and I kind of got uh, work. work. Uh, <laughs> I passed my my practice manager in the hallway, and she goes, "Oh, are you going anywhere for Thanksgiving?" I'm like, "No." And she goes, oh, can I put you down to be in the office then on Friday morning? I was like, well, I, uh, wait, wait, did okay. I say yeah? No, I, I mean, no. <laughs> and I'm really regretting it because it's supposed to be like mid 70s and sunny all day tomorrow. Mm. But uh, that is what it is. Mm. And like, well, no one's going to show up. I'm like, you have 10 people on the schedule. Some of them are going to show up. Yeah. Probably all 10. I mean, I'm Sad. not complaining. Yeah. I like my job, but I was looking forward to a day off. I'm just going to have to take a different one somewhere else. Well, we have faith that you will. Yeah. All right. So anyway, that's it for me, for the most part. Um, For me, haven't been doing anything since our last episode. (laughs) (laughs) You should have. Well, I mean, I've been doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes and um, been obviously involved in my uh, singing. Um, But other than that, really, really nothing. I, I don't have, I'm technically on vacation right now. Vacation ends on Monday, and then I go out on a trip on Tuesday. So very nice. that is pretty much it for me. So Very, very nice. And with that, I think uh, we can now shift on over to the coffee fund. And here we go. And that's your way to support the Johnny, show. How much more coffee? No thanks. Financially. I love tea. I love the APG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. 
Oh yeah. All right, the coffee fund, your way to support the show financially, as I just said. And uh, that's Jeff Smith singing our APG Java Jive for the occasion. And a couple different ways to... My little boo-boo on my thumb. It's getting much better. A couple of different ways to support the show financially or become part of this great group of folks we call the Coffee Fund Cadre or the Coffee Bar Fund or whatever. Uh, And that is the Coffee Fund Classic Method. And Liz, if you'll... Thank you. Didn't even have to tell her. She did it without me prompting her. Uh, The Coffee Fund Classic slide is up on the video. And uh, two folks contributed via that mechanism, Vigner Guanison. He's got a some weird kind of thing that goes over the top of one of those vowels. I couldn't figure out exactly how to do that on the on, this, on the picture here. So just imagine it. And uh, Gabriel Dodds, or Gabe Dodds, also sent us a, a one-time contribution via the Coffee Fun Classic method. And we also have something called Patreon. You can become a patron of the show. And since the last show, actually since the last several shows, we haven't had any new patrons, but we do now. William uh, Fay is an assistant uh, senior executive producer. So it's uh, almost the top tier. So uh, welcome, William, to that. And also A.E. Staga, I think. I'm not sure how you'd pronounce that. Uh, He is a new producer as well. So welcome to the Coffee Fun Cadre, everyone. If you want to join these great folks, head over to AirlinePilotGuy.com slash coffee. You'll be glad you did. We will, too. Captain, incoming message. Okay. Let's start with the first item in our feedback notebook. Um, Oh, okay. So I, I told the story. A couple of episodes ago, flew into Tulsa. Um, it was uh, not the smoothest landing. In fact, uh, you'll remember last week I showed a little bit of video from the actual landing where the uh, the tail kind of fell off. You'll recall. Uh, so yeah, it was it was it was firm, and uh, I did mention that as people were deplaning, uh, some gentleman was holding up his phone uh, with the APG show logo on it. And he said something with authority, and I wasn't sure exactly what it was. Um, didn't didn't see him, you know, waiting up in the jetway or anything like that. So I never got a chance to figure out who that was. And then we received some email from I think it was Alex last week, and I thought, oh, this is the guy. And then he goes, yeah, that wasn't me. Uh, so got this, and uh, his name is Jeff. What a great name. Uh, he says, I'm the passenger who is holding up his phone, showing the ABG podcast logo as I deplaned from your Atlanta to Tulsa flight back on November 10th. When I'm, uh, when I made a hard landing in my student days, my instructor would laugh and say, now that's what we call landing with authority. (laughs) I didn't realize that he was, he was smacking me when he said that to me as he was getting off the airplane. So that's what I was saying to you as I walked by the cockpit and out the door. Sorry, the mask muffled my voice and hid my goofy grin. Also, sorry, I couldn't hang around. I was on my way to my dad's hospital bedside and it was in a big hurry. Fortunately, I was able to spend time with him before he passed a couple of days later. And then he also attached the obituary and I'll include that in the show notes as well. Looks like his... His dad was 
quite quite a character. Uh, he says, like you and Nick, my uh, my was a veteran. My father was a veteran uh, in the Marines in Korea. He and I owned a. Oh, I didn't practice how you pronounce this. P i e t e n p o l. Do you know what that? Um, how to pronounce that? Rick, have you ever heard of that air, aircraft? No, I have imagine it's Pete nope. Pete and Paul, maybe Pete P Pete and Paul Pete and Paul Pete and Paul. I don't know. I don't know. We traveled several times to the Pete and Paul fly-in in Broadhead, Wisconsin. Uh, and then on to Oshkosh for the big show. Uh, Broadhead is always the Thursday through Saturday right before Osh. One year, there was just enough time between the two fly-ins to drive up to the Lumberjack World Championships, which is held yearly in Hayward, Wisconsin. What a hoot. If you're ever wondering what to do uh, to get away from Hotlanta in late July, early August, doing the Broadhead Hayward Oshkosh Circuit will cure what ails you. It sure was one of the best memories my dad and I shared. Um, by the way, this airplane um, or the the flying he's talking about they they made this airplane called the um, what do they call the air camper? I think air camper air camper. And I did a little. I looked it up on Wikipedia because I'd never heard of this airplane and and uh, very interesting. Um, and uh, they owned so that that was the um, flying they were going to up there. The company that uh, makes these kits is up in Broadhead, Wisconsin. Um, so, uh, oh, I'd already said that it was a air camper earlier. Huh, I'd already forgotten. Anyway, I based the air camper at a little grass strip east of Atlanta, Lenora, two golf alpha nine. I now fly a Pitts uh, S1C out of there. The 30 minute drive home from Lenora, usually on a Sunday evening was when I'd call my dad and we'd chat about how the airport gang was doing. He knew most of them from visits down here and how the Piet and later the Pitts were behaving. And of course, how he was doing and his latest adventure with his crazy neighbors, some of the best people in the world. He said, see the attachment when I couldn't get him on the phone, probably because he was out having another adventure. I'd listen to APG. I was listening to APG this evening on the way back from Lenora, obviously for a different and permanent reason. It was a bit poignant, but thank you for the shout out. Uh, it will add to my good memories of my dad. Thanks again. And again, this is uh, Jeffrey Boatwright. He's a uh, PhD, a professor of ophthalmology, Emory University School of Medicine. Wow. Really smart guy. I can't mm-hmm. believe we actually have smart people listening to our show. That's uh, that's cool. Anyway, he also others. Uh, Plenty out there, yeah. Yeah. Well, it beats having smart people on the show. That is true. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, at least we get 50%. <laughs> yep. Come on. 50%. True. There it is. There Otherwise, it is. I've been looking at that airplane. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Let's see if my That's bell That's a sweet works. little airplane. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah. It yeah. does. It's kind of tiny with just looks like single uh, occupant. Uh, I think uh, it's a... I think it's, I guess it depends. You can make one that's two place or one place. Ah, okay. It's but uh, it's a single wing, a high, uh, about eye level. <laughs> it looks a lot like the, you know, the plane tail stories of the um, aircraft in World War One and World War Two. <laughs> oh, very much so, yeah. If, if it had another wing, yeah, it yeah. does. Anyway. Uh, it uh, uh, has a Model A engine. 
Yeah, a Ford mm-hmm. Model Ford A. Ford Model A. It was built in what, 19... 1928. 28. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Wow. And they said that uh, more modern it. versions of it um, are using... Um, uh, more modern engines and uh, well they they're sit, kit build now right they're kit built yeah i think they yeah. i think they always have been actually mm-hmm. uh if i if i remember correctly from reading the uh, wikipedia article um anyway um his dad um bob um as you mentioned passed away just a couple of days after i saw um jeff getting off the airplane in tulsa and so um our condolences for your father and uh, i'm going to include in the show notes this um obituary because this man looked like he was just the kind of guy that you know i I would love to uh, have as a friend he uh, looked like a very uh jolly uh happy kind of adventurous person so anywho thank you jeff for finally having the uh the bravery the courage to uh identify yourself to us as the person who made that very nice comment to me after landing in tulsa (laughs) It was your FO landing there. Yeah, yeah, I can. It was it was my landing. I'll take full credit. Most just, of my that was the one with the um, someone was taking video as well, and yes. like the dumpster was emptying. Yes. like dumpster truck was emptying. Yeah, so now that I'm thinking about it, uh, maybe that was not the dumpster noise that you heard. Maybe it was actually the noise coming from my landing. Yeah, it was, it was the sound of authority. Most of the landings right. that I've made so far in this airplane have been really good. That was not an example of one. Uh, in in Tulsa, there was a quite a strong wind. In I don't know if, for those of you out there listening, you very rarely ever land on that east west runway in Tulsa. Uh, they have two parallel runways, uh, north south, um, and that's the first time. And I've been flying in and out of Tulsa for more than thirty years, and I've never landed on two six. And uh, that time I did because the winds were so strong out of the west, and uh, I'm still getting used to this new airplane. It has an auto throttle system that. They say uh, most everybody just leaves it all hooked up all the way down to touchdown. Uh, we did not do that in the Mad Dog. We we turned off the auto throttle system to kind of have control over you know the reduction of thrust. And uh, at thirty feet, basically, this thing um, just starts retarding to idle power. And in this case, landing with a very very stiff uh, uh, headwind was not a good idea. And I should have. Uh, done. I probably should have just turned the uh, auto throttle system off for that landing and left the power on a little bit more. But you know, I'm still learning how to how to fly this thing. So it's one of those things. <sighs> yep. All right. So thanks again, Jeff, and uh, condolences uh, to your father's passing. Um, item number two, Kevin. He says farewell to the airport that wouldn't die. Hi, Captain Jeff. Uh, is the Tillman mentioned below? Uh, the Tillman. I've heard. Numerous references to with the never empty Stein on APG. The whole article is rather interesting. Thankful, uh, respectfully, Kevin St. John. And so he included a link to this article from CNN.com slash travel. And the uh, title of the article is Berlin uh, Tegel. Farewell to the airport that wouldn't die. And so I'm cruising through, uh, kind of skimming the uh, article and talking about a lot of people are kind of... Uh, thinking about, um, you know, the, the airport and how great it was. And then sure enough, Kevin was right. Uh, we get this, uh, uh, quote here, uh, but Tegel's car friendly design endeared the airport to many, especially in the Berlin hospitality sector. Tillman Hyreth is the managing partner of the circus hotel on Rosenthaler P 
Platz, as well as an enthusiastic hobby pilot and loves to use the airport. Uh, Tegel is easily the best airport in the world, he says. And I don't only say that because I'm madly in love with its 70s ugliness. <laughs> wow. Um, this design might not be uh, efficient to operate, but it is a traveler's dream of short waiting times and short distances. When the cab drivers went on strike a few years back, I rented a van and drove our guests from the hotel to the airport. In Tegel, that does not mean to an entrance to counties away. Instead, we were able to drop our guests off directly at their gate. It is the only major airport I know where you can see the checking counter from the curb and the airplane from the checking counter. So, uh, oh, brilliant. Oh, here, uh, yeah. another quote from uh, Tillman. He recalls a particular incident involving a time-pressed guest. He needed to be uh, in a very important meeting at our hotel and also needed to catch his flight that afternoon. So our front desk actually called Tegel and they held the gate open for our guest. Wow. It is this personal touch that made all the difference. Tegel was not designed to uh, intimidate and impress. It was designed to be at the traveler's service. A lot of great quotes from Tillman there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The the picture, the great series of pictures, but the one that's about like four down with uh, the above the Air Berlin aircraft with just that mass of angled concrete um, with the tower on the right-hand side and all those big glass uh, edifices to the left. I mean, it is classic 70s, isn't it? But it has a kind of striking, um, severe beauty to it. Um, I agree yeah. with his description, 70s ugliness. <laughs> yes. in, in I, I like the it. most wonderful way. Like, it really yeah. is. I like Absolutely. it. Right. Yeah. Give, I mean, give it enough time, it'll be in style again. So, uh, oh, yeah. for sure. You know how fashion sure. goes. <laughs> yeah, that is the airport we flew into last year when I went to uh, Germany with my brothers, and we stayed at Tillman's Fine uh, Hotel. So, oh, great hotel! hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 The, highly recommend. If you're hotel in with a brewery attached. Whoa! <laughs> you gotta love that for yeah, sure. I have absolutely. not been there, and sadly, it doesn't look like I'll ever get the chance. Right? Because they finally shut this thing down. Right. Yeah, the airport's shut down now. It's yeah. close, I think. Yeah, yeah I think you can still fly to Berlin, Jeff. You'll be all right. Well, oh, okay. yeah. You just have well, to go I figured to that. the new airport. <laughs> I, thought, oh, I thought you'd have to fly somewhere close by and then take a train. Well, kind of. Yeah. yeah it's not yeah, it's super a train close to... will do nicely. Mm-hmm. Or a bus. All right. But, uh... Okay. Well, Tillman, um, you're a star, man. All right. Met Tillman for the first time in 2016, I believe, um, or was it 2018? It was 2016, Farnborough. Yeah. Okay, because we were there. I think he uh, drove some of you around in uh, to your. Did he drive some of us to our hotels or to dinner or something? Something like that. I remember I I sharing um, one of those shuttle vans or buses um, uh, going to the uh, airport, the Farnborough Airport. Um, anyway. Uh, let's keep going here with number three, uh, Aiden, uh, captain asks crew to take video of aircraft wings as air New Zealand flight diverts to Christchurch. And he says, have you ever been asked to have, or asked for a video to be taken? Uh, what could it be? And so he gives us a link to this article from, uh, newshub.co.nz or NZ, I should say. An Air New Zealand flight from Auckland to Queenstown had diverted to Christchurch due to what passengers were reportedly told was a tech issue. While that isn't very unusual, the actions of the crew took the actions that the crew took were 
co-editor of newsroom.co.nz. Tim Murphy was on board and tweeted that the cabin crew had been asked to record footage of the surface of the aircraft's wings through the windows using an iPad. Um, Things you don't see much. Uh, Wait a minute. No, that's probably a caption I'm reading there. Um, Murphy said that the aircraft opted to divert uh, for the longer runway after a crew reported an external view saw something which didn't look quite right on the wing, I guess. Um, Air New Zealand confirmed that Flight 619 from Auckland to Queenstown diverted to Christchurch due to an engineering issue. The crew conducted a visual inspection of the wing on behalf of the pilots who were able to leave the who were unable to leave the flight deck. An airline spokesperson said once on the ground, passengers were told uh, it was likely that they would be moved to another aircraft to continue their journey to Queenstown due to the fact that half the wing was missing on the right side. Now, I added that part at the very end. Um, not sure exactly. <laughs> that's what they finally saw when they were <laughs> yeah. radioing? Yeah, yeah well, this that's, is not flying well, the way it's normally supposed to fly. Uh, I know, it's interesting. No, I've never heard of anything like that. Have you all? Mm-mm. Well, nope. I, I, there are several cases where I think we, we would probably ask something like that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be um, de-icing, uh, after de-icing exactly. on the ground. Mm-hmm. Exactly could what I was be, thinking, uh, yeah. Yeah, it could be um, after takeoff, if you've got a an odd flap indication and you want to physically check that the flaps are in the position you believe them to be, it could be a floating spoiler and you want to know whether it's uh, sticking up a long way or whether it's nearly flush, which would affect performance and your endurance, uh, your range. Um, I, several things out there on the wing. Uh, it could be that you've had a report that somebody's left a, fuel cap off although <laughs> i'm just thinking pretty rare to be fueled over wing nowadays mm-hmm. but uh, all mm-hmm. the, all these things are possible and uh, a little video can like they say a picture's worth a thousand words much better than somebody who's not really technically trained coming back to the flight gate and trying to explain it to you much better to have a picture very very true very i true. agree with that yep yeah and technology uh, really works for us uh, these days doesn't it? yeah and if the guy diverted to an airfield with a longer runway that would probably make me think flaps um, mm-hmm. yeah some uh, kind of a lift issue yeah okay yeah which means probably have to fly a higher speed longer runway yeah more energy that kind of thing yeah. mm-hmm. okay um texas charlie sent us a link to a actually it's a facebook um video or a link to a video from business insider on facebook he says there's a lot more to pan am's his, uh, story than i had realized and a certain renaissance um, resonance in how a number of today's airlines may fall in the years to come very sad and uh, so we're not going to play the uh, video there's a kind of a screen grab of the uh, video playing in my facebook app on screen on the video right now uh, version of the show but for those of you listening to the audio and video if you want to watch the uh, business insider video about the rise and fall of pan am there will be a link in the show notes why don't we skip over to uh, six brad writes i wanted to reach out and let you know that i love the podcast and all its content i love the different perspective from each one of you on the individual topics you discuss I've only recently started listening to you. I know, I've 
I'm Living Under a Rock by just now <laughs> discovering APG and stumbling upon the link in an aviation podcast search. The show has become my absolute favorite. By the way, uh, I wanted to uh, put out a um, congratulations to the uh, Opposing Bases uh, crew, uh, Opposing Bases podcast. Uh, they are apparently number one, the number one aviation podcast in uh, Latvia. Woohoo! So, yeah, woo! Yeah. <laughs> we'll send they, some champagne and, or something. Latvia, maybe. Yeah, um, they they kind of make um, have some fun with uh, where they're the number one aviation podcast in the world. <laughs> and the last one I was listening to, there was Latvia, I think maybe uh, Latvia, Iceland and Czech Republic. <laughs> so yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't even want to look to see where we're number one. If we are in fact, number one anywhere, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it'd be embarrassing. I think. Okay. Yeah, we should look. I'm curious. It's now. nice though. Cause I uh, tell one of my best, uh, my favorite layovers ever at Riga. It's a beautiful, beautiful city in Latvia. So uh, that's the capital city. So, right? Yeah. Riga, just yeah. gorgeous, gorgeous place. All right. Um, yeah, I can't say I've been there. I would like to go sometime. I heard it's, I hear it's very nice. Okay. Um, so continuing on with Brad, a quick story and my apologies in advance for the length. Um, That's what you said. But I could be what you'd call a late bloomer in the aviation world. I'm 43 years old, married, and have four kids, but have only worked in aviation for about 10 years. My dad was a 45-year veterinarian, but also a private pilot. So growing up, many evenings and weekends were spent at the airport watching departures and arrivals and chasing $100 hamburgers on the weekends. That stopped as I got into my teenage years as my dad decided to move his business in a different direction and the cost of renting a plane and flying increased. We all still loved aviation and still spent many evenings at the airport watching the airliners come and go. However, I chose the fire EMS path after high school and then after about 17 years and me taking a part-time job at Kilo Delta Alpha Yankee Dayton as a fueler, my love of aviation was reignited after ooh, fuel and reignition is not a good thing to be placed together. Uh, my love of aviation was reignited after a lengthy absence. Fast forward to now, I currently work full time as a facility manager, ramp operations manager for a part 91 flight department. Wanting to advance my career further, I decided this past January to pursue my aircraft dispatch certificate. Of course, COVID has put a squash on classes, so we're in a holding pattern as how the school will proceed. My long-term goal, dream, has been to work for Acme Air someday in dispatch. So in the meantime, my hopes are to complete the certification and pass with flying colors and build time dispatching in some way, shape, or form to make myself more appealing for the time that I am able to apply for dispatch positions. I'm fairly close to ILN. I think that's the, um, is that Wilmington? Uh, that's Wilmington. In Wilmington uh-huh. in Ohio. Wilmington. Uh, I go through that airport all the time. Okay. Uh, and somewhat close to CVG, Covington, Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky Airport. So hopefully one of the cargo carriers will give this guy a chance whenever the opportunity arises. The moral to this lengthy feedback of mine is APG is extremely inspiring to me. The stories, the opinions, and industry updates or news you discuss just make me feel driven to do better and constantly keep climbing to achieve more. Thanks to all. Oh, I see what he did there. Brad, yeah. Isn't that nice? Very nice. Um, yeah, that's uh, one of Acme's uh, mottos, right? Keep climbing. 
I believe so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, P.S. If uh, any of you find yourselves in the Dayton, Ohio area, I'd love to meet up and uh, a tour of the Air Force Museum is a must. Now, Brad is. Oh, a, yeah. I'd love mm. to go around there again. I don't know it's how on long my you've list been. Of places to visit. Yeah. I don't know yeah. how long Brad has been um, listening to the show, but what was it two years ago? 20 yeah. or no, a year and a half ago. Right? Uh, 2019? 19. Yeah. We uh, had a nice big meetup there in Dayton at the Air Force Museum. And uh, Major Bell uh, took us in C-17 simulator, uh, Nick and I. And then we (laughs) went over to to the museum and spent the day. It's not an airplane. No, it's weird. It doesn't fly like one. It's very strange. Weirdest Uh, thing. Yeah, it is. But... um, Anyway, yeah, we had a great time, and I, you know, definitely one day does not do that museum justice, so we'll have to visit again, I'm sure. Yeah, we were on the way. We stopped from, we started in Atlanta, stopped at the uh, Big Ass Fan Company in Lexington, saw Greg Peterson there, gave us the grand tour, and then we continued up to uh, Dayton and uh, spent a couple nights there and uh, the day at the museum, and then the following day, we left from there and drove up toward uh, Oshkosh, picked up a an RV on the way. That Very was a nice. lot of fun. Yeah, we pinched one. We well, <laughs> we actually paid for it. <laughs> eventually, yeah, you always pay for it eventually. I do. Well worth the money spent. I do want to. Uh, yes, it definitely was. Mm-hmm. Great use of coffee fund money. Um, do want to mention that um, our good friend and fellow podcaster and fellow Acme uh, employee, um, Mike Carrolls, is the host of Flying and Life. He's a dispatcher at uh, Acme Air, and uh, he puts out this podcast um, on occasion and uh, dealing with um, dispatching mainly because that's his job. Uh, we also have another Acme dispatcher that is a uh, listener as well, Tom Dugan. And, uh, so, uh, a lot of, uh, a lot of information and resources available for you. So Brad, um, check out flying and life. I'll try to remember to put a link to that in the show notes and uh, you should start listening to that. And, uh, Mike might be a, gr- a great resource for you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we still have time. Let's see. Robert, um, let's see, this is Robert in Marietta, uh, just north of the Big Chicken. Glad to hear y'all making your way back to the cockpit. I came across this message board and I thought I would share. Would be interesting, it would be an interesting situation that a crew member would have an opportunity to check a passenger's customer service history, for better or worse. Curious if you all have ever heard of this or have been able to utilize such a wealth of data in real time. So he um, put a link to um, a forum on Flyer Talk, F-L-Y-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. And I'm not sure I quite understand the, um, the post here, but uh, somebody entitled their post, You Should Stop Making Complaints to CX. Seriously, I don't know. Do you, does anybody have an idea what CX means customer? Uh, it's Cathay Pacific. Oh, is it? Yeah, I was going to say. Ah, yeah, Cathay okay. Pacific. <laughs> so, Cathay Pacific Airways in Hong Kong. So the cabin crews have access to the passenger profile list. Uh, in other words, the 
D-Y-K-W-I-A. Don't you know who I am? Is that what I'm, I'm guessing? That's what that stands for. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Which has the entire record of the complaints you have ever made, regardless of how ridiculous they are. Based on the list, the flight attendants can identify the troublemaking passengers, hmm. <laughs> which I guess would be handy for them. Um, whether, How do I get this for my day job? Like, <laughs> yeah, the list of the, I don't know what people are. Well, nobody's going to complain, right? My office. No, uh, no one complains. No, no, no one ever complains. Never. Oh. That's not a thing that happens. You see this? 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 Here's why I fly boxes. <laughs> great. Whether legitimate no way to talk about Boeing's. <laughs> Or No, I'm not going to go there. Whether legitimate or not, the more complaints you have made, the more you like a troublemaker. You like a troublemaker? Well, the, more you, the more you look like, I think. There's a missing word there. The more you look like a troublemaker. So next time, before you make a complaint, think about this. Does it is it worth having that on your permanent uh, Cathay Pacific record? So... No, I, I am not aware of this capability at Acme Air, at least, to be able to... I think our mob could do it. Uh, yeah. The FSM's senior cabin crew used to were issued with uh, iPads, mm -hmm. which updated them on uh, the passenger lists and would include all the data, particularly for uh, the upper-class passengers, mainly their mm. likes, dislikes, and things the crew needed to know about them. But I've no doubt that they could have included uh, other information on people at the other end of the scale. Let's see, why not? Um, Captain Al again, uh, very busy in our live audience chat room. British Airways have stated that passengers who publicly criticize the airline could lose their frequent flyer status. Hmm. Mm. That's a deterrent. And then, of course, Neil uh, Landmorn says, it's easy to identify the troublemakers. They're the ones wearing APG shirts. <laughs> That's why I don't wear my APG shirt in public. Very smart. Yeah. I want to be. Yeah. I wear my PT UK shirt. Whenever <laughs> I wear my opposing bases one. Oh, That's another one, yeah. You uh, like to get thrown off with that one. Though. Never let you on. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, so there you go. Thanks, Robert, for sending that in. Something to think about, at least. Yeah, I don't know if uh, they have, the flight attendants have that capability at uh, at Acme or not. Perhaps they do. I don't know. They have a lot of information available to them in their little SkyPro app or whatever they call it. Hmm. Um, let's see. This is from uh, Rich. He says, hi, Captain Jeff. It's Richard from Singapore. Hope this finds you well. I've attached a short video and a few pics I took the other day while here in Diego Garcia. Feel free to upload and use on your show. If you require any more information from me, please let me know. So uh, Liz has, uh, I have a couple of uh, photos that I stuck there in the overlay section. She's showing the approach to the uh, Diego Garcia uh, runway there. Um, I've, I've seen that uh, scene many, many times uh, back in the 80s. And then uh, continue on. Here's a uh, photo of the uh, sign there, Diego Garcia Air Terminal. Um, let's see, British Indian Ocean Territory. And it's out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Uh, it's a um, archipelago, I think is what they talk, call that, uh, where it's the, the top of a... The chain of islands? Yeah, it's a... Um, mm. Well, what do they call it? The uh, that it's the, this is a rim of a, a volcano. Um, oh, like the top of the caldera that sticks out of the yes ocean. Wow, an atoll. Thank you, Liz. Atoll. An atoll. atoll. There we go. 
Um, and uh, it's a it's a, a beautiful metal. place. That's a Soviet a, missile. Well, that might be a, <laughs> the, another definition of that word, perhaps. I don't know. Um, but uh, honest. Anyway, um, he, he includes this picture of um, one of the buildings, Diego Garcia, footprint of freedom. And uh, he also sent, as he mentioned in his email, um, a video. And so why don't we go ahead and play that now, Liz? G'day, APG crew. This is uh, Richard from Singapore. I just thought I'd do a little short video. We're doing a medivac flight here to Diego Garcia. And you can see on this little small terminal, it says, welcome to the British Indian Ocean Territory. And I thought I'd do this uh, because uh, I understand Captain Jeff spent some time here in the early 80s, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, so this is the, um, the main apron area here. That was the, one of the last taxiways when you come off or roll off runway 31 in Diego, Foxtrot Juliet to Delta Golf. And over here, I've got a picture later on to show you or send you this little hang up. I love it. It says Diego Garcia, footprint of freedom. I think that's a great little motto. And then here's our Leejet 60 that we came in today, waiting on our soldier that apparently is to uh, be offloaded one of the Navy ships and then onto a tug or so, some sort of boat, smaller boat, and brought to us. Anyway, just wanted to pass on this little video and uh, say goodbye. See you guys. Thank you, Rich from Singapore, for that video. Okay, I need to take that off the screen there we go that's brilliant i i guess it's also a bit of a uh, listening post because secreted in the corner of one of those pictures are nine great big golf balls and it's not ah. golf balls you'd hit with a golf club unless you're a very very large person <laughs> exactly huge yeah. clubs i'm, I'm hoping so to make it down there at some point we operate down there uh quite regularly on, ask uh, 767 that. so uh so uh, hopefully I'll uh, I'll get to make it down there soon. Can you uh, um, get jump seats on those, uh, right? Can you no, because those a... are those are um, uh, flight for the uh, Air Mobility Command, uh, Air Force flights. Ah, uh, okay. so That's yeah, so no, those are uh, they're a little sadly uh, little out of bound, yeah. picky about that kind of thing, right? Yeah. If you do, um, I don't know if, if you did go down there, and I don't even know if it's open. I would imagine it still is. The uh, officers' club there is pretty cool. And in fact, uh, that leads me back to the uh, plain tale that you did, uh, Nick, uh, regarding the uh, favorite um, spots for uh, cocktails. And I forgot exactly mm. what. We, oh yes, yes. This was one of yours, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, that was Diego Garcia. Yeah, yeah. So if you yeah, ever do that, make it down there, the Orga Inn. But uh, this would definitely be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. Just no, that's kind of cool because when when you go to uh, when you go to um, a lot of these uh, air bases, you know, go to Bagram or, or, or on Afghanistan or, or Diego or some of these places that are kind of off the beaten path, it's always nice to kind of get the uh, the uh, the yacht souvenir, and because uh, you can only get it there, you know. So um, hoping hoping again to make it down there soon and 
and pick cool. up a couple of t-shirts here. Well, if you do pick up one for me. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Okay. Cause I never did when I was there. Five all together. Never go. really understood the Excellent. significance of what I was doing when I was in the air force. <laughs> really didn't understand anything I was doing actually, but, uh, <laughs> uh, that's neither here nor there. And, uh, you know, speaking of very neither, blissful though, blissful pardon? Times. very blissful though. Blissful yes. Times. Very blissful. Yeah. I'm, uh, that's my philosophy. Mm-hmm. Uh, blissful ignorance. Um, you know what time it is. It is now time for this week's installment of the best part of our show, which, of course, everyone knows is the old crustaceans plain tale. <laughs> this week, the title, The Average Pilot. The old pilot's plain tales. The average pilot. There's a saying that goes, to be damned by faint praise. It's an English idiom which expresses, in an oxymoronic manner, no, not an idiot under an oxygen mask, although I've met a few of those, but a contradiction in terms, if you will, that refers to faint and half-hearted praise being more harmful than actual criticism. The term can be traced back to its first appearance in print in Pope's poem, Epistle to Dr. Arbuthnot. Damn with faint praise, assent with civil leer, and without sneering, teach the rest to sneer. Willing to wound and yet afraid to strike, just hint a fault and hesitate dislike. So, Should you be asked what your fellow pilot is like, and you reply, Oh, they're just average. Eyebrows will shoot up. What, you might think, only average? As if being in the middle of a span of ability is a bad thing. Indeed, in our times of superfluous and effusive praise of anything and everything, nobody wants to be average. For every year of my productive military career, my logbook would be presented to the powers that be with my annual flying figures correctly correlated and penned in red, with a blank space for an assessment of ability. It was here that the boss would, with a sweep of his pen, sum up my entire year's efforts. Completed courses would generally end with the single word proficient, whereas an annual assessment could travel the complete gambit from below average, low average and average, to high average, above average and the rarely achieved pinnacle of ability, exceptional. But you had to be either very junior and inexperienced, be only average, even though logic would dictate that most pilots should fit into that category. If I may digress for a moment, the law of averages is a commonly held belief that an outcome will, over time, balance any past deviation from the presumed average. This leads to the gambler's fallacy, when one becomes convinced that after a number of events have occurred in one direction, the opposite result is more and more likely to happen. In reality, an inanimate object such as a spinning coin has no memory of past events, 
and the probability of a particular result is the same for the first toss as it is for the 100th. Getting back to my story, we must first delve into the history books to discover who discovered averages. Firstly, let me define the term. An average is a single number which is taken to represent the value of a list of different numbers. To get an average, all we have to do is add up all the numbers in a list and then divide the total by however many there are in the list. It's also referred to as the mean. The chap often credited with developing this mathematical concept was a Belgian fellow who went by the name of Ketelet. A smarty pants, he was the very first to receive a doctorate in mathematics from the University of Ghent, which he did at the age of only 23. He was Belgium's astronomer royal, and like many astronomers, felt the need to measure the speed of the celestial objects which he could see whizzing around the night sky. This was achieved by timing an object's passage as it moved between two marks etched on his telescope. The trouble was, it was very hard to get two readings that were the same, and if you put a bunch of astronomers into a room, they would spend hours arguing about whose measurement was the right one. Ketelet solved the problem by reasoning that if the readings were all combined, they could get a single average measurement. He had devised the method of averages. Flushed with his success, our Belgian friend went on to average all sorts of things and developed a number of theories from his results. In 1840, he got hold of the chest measurements from 5,738 Scottish soldiers. On averaging them, he calculated what he believed to be the perfect dimension for a Scottish soldier's chest, that of 39.75 inches. Anyone who didn't achieve this figure must, by his logic, be an imperfect example an inferior and mediocre Scottish soldier. There was nothing wrong with his mathematics, but I think we can all now look at his conclusions askance. However, his theories of the average person persisted, and we can see them pop up every now and then. Catelet's theories also influenced the American military. During the American Civil War, President Abraham Lincoln decided that the Union Army needed more information about its soldiers, so he authorized the largest anthropomorphic study in the history of the world. Every Union soldier was measured physically, medically, and morally, and then, in explicit obedience to Catelet's new science, averages were calculated. These averages informed the distribution of food rations, the design of weapons, and even the fit of military uniforms, and would form the basis for the American military's long-standing philosophy of standardized design. Indeed, uniform sizings would eventually find their way into civilian clothing, which is why we all now choose between large, medium, and small, etc., Enter the world of aviation, and we find Catelet's influence all over the place. 
Everything from flying clothing to helmet designs sprang from the size of the average aviator. Cockpit layouts followed the same idea, with the instruments made clearly visible for the average pilot. Controls were positioned for an average man's reach and leg length, and the seat made for someone of average height. All well and good, it seemed, but as the First World War concluded, air forces around the world were looking at their losses with sharp focus. The Royal Flying Corps, for example, recorded that for every 100 aviators killed whilst flying, only two had met their deaths at the hands of the enemy. Eight had died from a problem with their aircraft, either a mechanical fault or structural failure. The remaining 90 perished as a result of what the Corps blandly described as the pilot's own individual failure. Effectively, a 90% accident rate put down to pilot error. Something obviously had to be done to reduce this appalling waste of life. Various avenues were taken to improve both the aircraft and the pilot. Aeromedical research was undertaken to establish how to test and quantify a pilot's physical dimensions as well as his physiological performance to establish how to pick the best average person for the job. However, the accident rates remained unacceptable through the Second World War as well. Indeed, on one bleak day in the United States in the late 40s, 17 pilots crashed for no apparent reason. Their fellow pilots and superiors had no explanation, since these men were considered good pilots, but the investigations continually blamed them for crashing. The late 1940s saw a vast expansion in the size of the US Air Force, which by now had become its own branch of the military, and the cost, not just in lives, was unacceptable. Even without war, pilots continued to die as they appeared unable to control their machines. It was a baffling situation, and the high death rate in the Air Force was a mystery for many years. But after initially blaming the pilots and their training programs, someone suggested that perhaps the pilots were just the wrong size. After all, the last study to find the best size for an average pilot had been back in 1926. With better diet and standards of living, perhaps the average post-war pilot was heavier and taller nowadays. Enter 23-year-old Lieutenant Gilbert Daniels. Now, Daniels wasn't a pilot. He'd never flown an aircraft. He was a very junior researcher. Looking at the problem, he had discovered that the USAF were measuring pilots in an attempt to establish a new average pilot. Indeed, at Wright Air Force Base in Ohio, more than 4,063 pilots had been subject to the measurements of 140 different dimensions of limbs, head, torso, feet, even thumb length and crotch height too, but no, they didn't measure that. Daniels took a close look at the pages and pages of data and had something of a eureka moment. 
was there such a thing as an average pilot? To test his hypothesis, Daniels looked at the ten most relevant physical dimensions of pilots from the study and created an average pilot based on the middle third of the range of dimensions. The resulting average pilot varied in height from 5 foot 7 inches to 5 foot 11 inches. With this range in hand, Daniel then looked at the entire pool of 4,063 pilots and tried to match individual pilots to his average pilot model. He was right. Not one single pilot matched the average. As his report put it, If you've designed a cockpit to fit the average pilot, you've actually designed it to fit no one. The tendency to think in terms of the average man is a pitfall into which many persons blunder. It's virtually impossible to find an average airman, not because of any unique traits in this group, but because of the great variability of bodily dimensions which is characteristic of all men. So, if the previous design criteria of building cockpits to fit the average pilot was flawed, what could be done? The Air Force's response was quick and effective. Engineers and aircraft designers were tasked with building cockpits to fit a wide range of sizes by including adjustable rudder pedals, seats that could be altered in position, helmet straps that could be adjusted, and flight suits of many different sizes. Pilot performance improved immediately, and the accident rates fell accordingly, but this was just the start of a whole new world of ergonomics in the cockpit. Instruments were now laid out in a consistent and logical manner, depending on how often the pilot would need to refer to them. The centre of his scan was the artificial horizon that had to be checked most often to confirm the aircraft's attitude. Close by would be the altimeter and the airspeed indicator, usually to the right and left. Below was the compass, and in the bottom corners of a standard six-instrument layout were the vertical speed gauge and the turn and slip. Engine instruments were laid out in rows, one row for each engine, so that an unusual needle position could be easily compared with the other engines. In some cases, the instruments were turned, so that in normal conditions, all the needles were pointing in the same direction. Controls were also clustered, so that all the switches relating to a system were grouped together, and those needed frequently, or had to be available in case of an emergency, were kept to hand. Items that only needed attention rarely or when on the ground were moved to more remote locations. Misidentification of controls was also a common problem until they were given unique shapes allied to their function and made to operate in different directions from each other. For example, during the Second World War, crash landings were a particular problem for the Boeing B-17 Flying Fortress. The planes were functioning as designed, and the pilots were highly trained, but they made basic errors. In 1942, a young psychology graduate, Alphonse Chapinis, joined the Army Air Force Aeromedical Lab as their first psychologist. 
Japanists noticed that the flaps and the landing gear had identical controls that were co-located and were operated in sequence. In the high workload period of a landing, pilots frequently retracted the gear instead of the flaps. This hardly ever occurred to pilots of other types of aircraft. Japanese fixed a small rubber wheel to the landing gear lever and a small wedge shape to the flap lever, and this kind of pilot error almost completely disappeared. Colours were chosen to represent functions such as yellow and black stripes for ejector seat handles, canopy jettison levers, doors and tank jettison buttons. Even cockpit colours were changed from the all-black interior of early aircraft to colours that were easier on the eye for long flights. Instruments were given bands of colour to indicate ranges of operation so that they could be checked at an instant without having to read a figure and relate that to a limit. As the physiology of the body when subjected to the forces present in high-performance aircraft was better understood, more progress was made. The body's vestibular system of sensing motion, gravity and balance were investigated and the dangers of vestibular illusions, somatogravic and somatogyral illusions discovered. One such illusion is the Coriolis trap which occurs when a pilot looks down and to one side when in a rapid turn, resulting in an almost unbearable sensation that the aircraft is rolling, pitching and yawing all at the same time. The entire subject of design, ergonomics and human performance became wrapped up into what we now call human factors, part of which includes pilot education to gain a solid understanding of the limitations of a body that's designed to operate with its feet firmly planted on the ground. Aircrew now have knowledge of the workings of the inner ear, its auditory components and its vestibular apparatus. They know how the body's sleep cycles work and how to combat jet lag, circadian lows and both short-term and long-term fatigue. Mental health as well as physical health has also become a subject of open discussion as aircrew learn that the mind must be nurtured as well as the body. Looking forward, as technology on the flight deck changes, we have new challenges. From the basic cockpits of yesteryear, pilots can now suffer from information overload when the plethora of electronic displays presents too much data at one time. Software-driven screens can be easily rewritten so that the pilot is presented with frequently changing layouts and functions. This requires them to unlearn established knowledge and become proficient with new designs, only to have them change again a short while later when another update occurs. Electronic manuals and flight books are amended automatically and very frequently as changes, both small and large, are automatically uploaded. It becomes a constant struggle to ensure that new information is noted. Now, the human body certainly has its limitations and having learned about the dangers of assuming that there is such a thing as an average pilot, we have entered a new realm where gadgets are king and the mass of information available can blind us from what is important.
Another fantastic one. That was great. I really yeah. enjoyed that. <laughs> so basically, Nick, you're saying yeah, that, that they have had to pilot-proof the... airplanes, right? To uh, keep us from... Uh... Yes, they did. <laughs> well, <laughs> you see, they, they built the, the airplane and then tried to recruit people to, you know, sit in it that were the right size. And, you know, there's no such thing as someone who's exactly the right size. So rather than having adjustable uh, cockpits, they tried to find average pilots of course it doesn't work but right. it's very interesting <laughs> that's and it's interesting because it's uh even even the way you land the airplane um depends a lot on your the height of your seat you know it's uh your and, and what you can see at the front and and at least for me in order to gauge what the rate of descent is or the sink rate of the airplane is right at, right at the right at the flare i have to be this is, I mean, my, I, I just, I just know what my eye height should be. Now, there's, there's airplanes out there. You know, the Airbuses have this, and some, some seven fours that I've flown have this as well, where you have these, these little, um, uh, these white and and, and orange um, little spheres or balls right on the on the on the center uh, post of the windshield there, and you're supposed to cover one with the other, and uh, that's a, uh, apparently what the correct eye height is. And then other 747s have uh, a line uh, on the side post of the window, both on the captain's and FO side. And you're supposed to line your your eyes up with that. And and the manuals tell you all sorts of different uh, um, uh, ways to figure out what your correct uh, seat uh, height should be. But in, but indeed, uh, how high you sit um, determines really, in my experience, how how good your landing is. And also. When you're coming into land in very very low visibility, if your seat is not uh, positioned correctly, you may not be able to see the approach lights required to uh, get you get you on the ground there. So, yeah, that's the one I was going to mention because it's actually part of our Cat Three uh, low visibility landing checklist was to check your seat height because mm-hmm. uh, without mm-hmm. being able to see out of the cockpit except nothing except cloud. It's very hard to judge uh, what you'll be able to see once the world becomes obvious. Uh, so, yeah, you could easily end up sitting a bit low, and then you're right, being unable yeah. to see the lights and having to go around. That's usually something exactly that's right. included as a briefing item and, mm-hmm. and low-vis approaches. Make sure that your seat's up high enough so you can see what you need to see. And not only that, but, I mean, we, we, we talk about he, uh, seat height and all that, but also an, another another factor here, um, at least Boeing airplanes, you can do uh, auto lands on, with uh, flaps 25 and 30. Uh, and for, oh, yeah. for when you're, when you're going to do auto lands, you want to have – the largest available flap selected so that the pitch or the the uh, the pitch of the aircraft as you're coming in the land is as low as possible uh, so that you can see out the front and see those approach lights in front of you if you if you're landing with flap 25 then your pitch angle is slightly higher so you may not be able to see the approach lights and add to that if your seat's not positioned correctly you may not see anything at all and might end up having to go around when you would have otherwise been able to see the landing environment Although I have found that um, with the seat height and, you know, consistency and nice landings, I've found that lowering my um, seat height lower so that it kind of shifts my uh, my vision to the, the horizon line. The end mm. of the runway. Yeah, mm-hmm. really, really helps uh, yeah. with, with that. But, you know, it, there's always a, a good reason for different different seat heights and every airplane that i've flown i think have had some kind of a device in there to kind of judge whether or not you're uh, laterally or i guess uh, you know up um, front and back um, situated properly 
and also up and down, you know, height wise to uh, make sure that you're seeing the picture that the, uh, the test pilots, I guess, that certify the mm-hmm. airplane were, were using. That's interesting because we've talked about this as well, that, you know, these, these large airliners, yeah, you, you, you land them with um, visual cues and what you see out the window. But another very, very important device we use is the, the call-outs of the Grand Proximity Warning System. And, mm-hmm. and, the, and you're looking for a certain cadence, you know, from, from, from the moment the radial altimeter calls out 50 feet. So you're, you're looking for a certain, you know, rhythm of things to happen. And then uh, kind of, it, just, it, just it just becomes second nature, really. You, you, you expect to see something out the window and you expect to, uh, to feel a certain sync rate and then the, the radial altimeter at a certain rhythm and, and then you just know how to. Uh, and then when you don't hear those cues that you're used to hearing, it really is foreign. It's like, <laughs> why am I not hearing 50, 40, 30? <laughs> when it goes from 50 to 10, you just brace. Yeah, don't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When, they, when it skips late. one of those, that's leave too not much a good, of a dent in the runway. Not a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's it, a lot of times it'll happen though, because you have a, you have a, an airport comes Terrain to mind. Differences. You know. yeah. yeah, exactly. You have, I remember there's this airport in Southern Brazil, just to the, uh, just to the West of Sao Paulo. Uh, it's called Campinas. And the approach to runway one five um, comes up very very rapidly. The uh, the I guess the terrain comes up to to meet up with with, with the runway there. So, and 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 the the first portion of the runway right up to the point where the touchdown um, uh, markings are. The, I guess the uh, the aiming point. Uh, the runway slopes up um, quite significantly. So in that case, you know, uh, the, you know, that the, that the radial altimeter, the cadence, that cadence is going to be off slightly because you're not flying over, um, uh, straight, uh, you know, level terrain. And as we know, radial altimeter, all that really is, 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 is a sonar. So it, it, it measures your, your actual distance from the, uh, from the aircraft to the ground. And so that, that portion of ground underneath, it needs to be level for the reading to be somewhat accurate. I love the uh, ergonomics of the the little landing gear wheel, and uh, on the flap handle, uh, kind of it's like a little flap, you know. Yeah, uh, it is. It's amazing that stretches back to the B seventeen, mm-hmm. isn't it? I'm going really because it's every airplane I've ever flown has, apart from nah, that's not true because the old Air Force trainers used to have push buttons for the undercarriage. Mm. Um, oh, wow. most of them. At uh, little flap levers and, and little wheels. For little wheels. Mm-hmm. I love the uh, also the uh, the classic uh, six pack arrangement. I went, oh, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. Um, I like yeah, it how in. It, in uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Nick. No, I was just going to say it's amazing how many airplanes you see uh, of the older era that have nothing approaching that. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Where where am I supposed to find the airspeed? Where is that? Yeah. Where's the altitude? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say how I like it. How in in, uh, in in later later model airplanes, um, they've moved the landing gear lever from the I guess the the right side of the front panel to more towards the center, mm-hmm. so that um, uh, it's a lot easier for captains to uh, um, to reach over and uh, and retract the landing gear because in a lot of these uh, older type airplanes, I mean, and and now sitting on the left here. Uh, when it's the uh, FO's leg and I have to retract the landing gear, I have to, you know, grab onto the, uh, the the handhold up here on the window post and just reach around the cockpit and put the landing gear up and sometimes a little bit of a stretch. And I can only imagine what that must be like uh, for some of uh, for some of the folks uh, in the uh, in the heavy category there. So uh, uh, can't be easy. 
Yeah, but now they're of, putting that in the now they're putting that in the middle of the panel. I don't know about seven seventeen. I think it's in the middle of the panel as well. Or yeah, it's it's close to the center, but it's still more on the right side than it okay. is on the uh, on the left. So I, it, it is kind of a reach for me to put the gear handle up and down. Mm. But uh, I'm able to. Nah. Yeah, it was also interesting that you, I think you uh, cited uh, five foot seven to five foot eleven for the the range, and I fall exactly right in the middle of that, like five foot eight and a half. I think is like <laughs> almost. <laughs> I'm on the low yeah. end of, of the range. Yeah, 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 I'm 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 right 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 below you there, Jeff. Yeah, yeah. just about. And well, I know if that, you think about it, you probably would have been the perfect airport pilot. Uh, well, I was they, actually. They, once they figured out what the average uh, yeah like recruit that guy he's he's the perfect average pilot my question is how in the heck did you fit in an f4 nick (laughs) yeah question Uh, more importantly how i fitted in the folland gnat which was absolutely tiny uh it's all to do with everything in the right proportion so Mm. you know you can fit in a lot of cockpits as long as your back isn't too long or your legs aren't too long. Everything's in proportion. Mm. That's funny you say that. Um, I always have a little bit of trouble just in the uh, you know the classic 172 because even though I'm not terribly short, proportionally, like my torso is long and my legs are shorter. So I almost always need a cushion to make sure I can get full rudder travel <laughs> in a 172. Just in the 172. I'll push you up just a Yeah, hey, I do too. I do too. Yeah. I have a, you know, I no to, like, shame here. Sit all the way forward. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I have one, but that's for my piles. Mm. Oh, well, yeah. I'm sorry to hear about that. <laughs> I'm very sorry to hear <laughs> about say, other, that. Otherwise, I just have to kind of like slouch. But then, you know, you get that. We were talking about the eye height issue mm. there too, so. All right. Well, again, great, uh, as always, great plain tale. Thank you very much yes, for that, old crustacean. Um, let's see. Liz wants me to do nine next. Yeah, we got to do this one. Kind of been saving this one for for Rick. Um, and actually, uh, somebody named Nick sent this uh, in to us. Uh, would that be uh, Nick Anderson, perhaps? Uh, uh, nice. Facebook, uh, you oh, saw well, this on Facebook? Been. If I'd known about it, I would have done. The uh, MEL uh, on the oh, it uh, gear? Been me. Yeah, yeah I, I might have mentioned it. So um, somebody in Facebook named Duncan Gillespie on November 7th posted this. Minimum equipment list, dispatch South America style. Uh, LATAM, is that the way you say that, uh, Rick? LATAM? Yeah, LATAM. Uh-huh. Yeah, cargo. Had a wheel bearing failure on the number one wheel on the left-hand main gear of one of their Boeing 767s this week. Uh, no hay problema, uh, senor. They simply borped, borped? I don't know what that means. The, yeah, I know what that is. <laughs> the offending axle with an easy-at-hand lashing, lashing strap. And dispatch the aircraft to a maintenance base. And uh, so uh, you'll have to check out the photos in the show notes. Liz is uh, showing a couple of these um, pics on the uh, screen right now where there are supposed to be four wheels on that particular bogey. Only see three. And uh, you see the uh, convenient lashing strap there. It's hard for me to, you know, uh, understand how this could have been allowed to happen i'm thinking well maybe it was just on the ground somebody took a picture it actually didn't operate this way but uh but no liz go ahead and show the video if you don't mind
So, sorry about the noise there. Uh, it's coming in. Uh, it's rolling toward the gate. That's a 767, the one we were just talking about in pictures. And sure enough, look at there. There's the uh, left main bogey and without one of the wheels, number one wheel. <laughs> so, it's it's true. It's true. <laughs> Three wheels on my bogey, <laughs> and I'm still rolling along. Is that really a song? Yeah. Wow. It's How an American song. I thought you'd know that. No. Three Never wheels on it. my bogey. The Cherokees <laughs> have captured me. Things look bad, but I'm not sad, because I'm singing a happy <laughs> song. You must have heard it. <laughs> I have never heard that song. So, uh, somebody someone, in the chat room, help the, uh, me. The sauce. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nick is <laughs> cut off. No, I've never heard that. Or maybe it's because I don't recognize the melody or something um, from your singing. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It could be. Could be. Yes. Interesting. Well, if Micah was there, he'd instantly come up. Oh yeah, I'm sure that he would uh, definitely provide some evidence to support the veracity of your claim. Okay. Um. So what do you think about this, uh, guys? Uh, do you think this is uh, legit, or I mean, well, and I was going to say, I mean, look, looking at this and from and from experience, I mean, I I flew for this particular carrier for 13 years of my career, and uh, um, I mean, as we were talking about this before the uh, before the show started here, um, uh, maintenance uh, and training uh, was when it came to maintenance and training. Uh, money was no was no object for 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 land and now lad tam i remember i was telling uh, um um uh, and nick and jeff a story about uh when i first got hired on with this airline in the early uh, 2000s since uh the, the the biggest thing i'd flown at the time was a cessna 206 and this was going to be my first uh jet rating and not only that but uh heavy aircraft um after i got done with uh what you know was the most grueling almost year uh long bit of training and after going through the simulator and actually doing the check ride uh, i was still not cleared to go into um initial operating experience on the actual jet until i did what was called the base check which basically involved uh having the airline um figure out a uh, or put a jet aside for me to go on with a uh, instructor pilot a safety pilot a uh, CAA inspector and myself to go and do uh, uh, air work and simulated engine outs and ILSs and go around to stuff on the actual airplane. That's actually the first time I got to fly the 767 was uh, empty. So, uh, and that, that, you know, I can't imagine how much that must have cost. I mean, they don't do that anymore uh, because uh, well, the, re the reason why they did that was because the, when I, when I got uh, the, the type rating on the thing, uh, they only had a a, uh, a category C flight simulator. No, it wasn't a Cat D uh, category D, so uh, it wasn't as I guess realistic. So since it was my first type rating on the jet, they needed to actually have me fly the plane. And so on the on the uh, that was on the training side of things. So on the maintenance side of things, um, maintenance uh, second to none on this airline, absolutely. And what I what I see happening here is uh, having the plane. Um, land at some you know intermediate airport between uh, europe and south america and really the only way to get it down to a place where they can do maintenance on it is uh, by uh, obtaining a ferry permit which is probably what happened here i looked at obviously the uh, the mel the dispatch the dispatch deviation guide and the, and the cdg configuration deviation guide 
and there's no relief for uh, uh, departing with uh, uh, a missing uh, wheel and tire assembly. So there, there, there must have been some special a ferry permit, uh, permit issued here to get the airplane to uh, to maintenance. So this has nothing to do with uh, bad maintenance. If anything, oh, no, no. it's you know it's it's uh, the maintenance on this airline is just absolutely fantastic. Something you don't see very often, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let's see. Do I dare click on this, Nick? Here, let's see. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah, you certainly can, sir. Probably get um, in trouble. Like by YouTube? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Three wheels on my wagon. Oh, on my wagon. I'm still rolling along. Yeah, the I asked her old trick a little. Arrows fly right on by, but I'm singing a happy song. I'm singing a happy Very nice. <laughs> okay. okay. I felt sure it was an American classic and you'd all know about it. Well. Never heard it. Yeah. I'm not so it. sure about the classic Never. part of it. That's the first, <laughs> first time that I've heard it yeah. as well, but I like it. I wow. like it. Thank you. I'm impressed, Nick. That, yeah. That's good. <laughs> and again, another reason for us to uh, be taken down on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> but hey, might now, as well go out in the flourish. Heard of, there's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza. <laughs> oh, I've heard of that Liza. one. You have okay. Yes, that's definitely. right. You haven't. You haven't completely ruined my faith in you. Then <laughs> no, that's actually a, f- give us, a reasonably well-known folk song. I think. <laughs> yeah, just give us some time, Nick. We'll we'll ruin all hope. We'll let you, you down. Ever had left and right? Because <laughs> <laughs> that's why we're here. Okay, uh, let's see here. What did she say? Would be the next one in in my ear control room. Which one should I do next? 10. Okay. No, I don't hear anything, but so I'm going to go with it. Uh, 10 sent in from Richard R. West Virginia Air National Guard, retired colonel. Yes, right. this is the one. Okay. Thank you, uh, Liz. Uh, hi, APG crew. First, thank you to all of you for producing a great show. We all know the C-130 is one of the most versatile aircraft ever produced or versatile I flew the Mighty Herc, E's, and H3s for 22 years as both a navigator and as a pilot, but I've never heard of the Herc serving as a wedding venue until now. And uh, he gives us a link to airforcemag.com, and he said, wishing everyone on the APG a happy, healthy Thanksgiving. And again, that's Richard R., West Virginia Air National Guard, retired colonel. And there's the uh, picture on the video, and we'll have these in the show notes as well. The the loading um, uh, door of the back of the C-130 has, has been lowered. And uh, we see a couple of uh, Air Force pilots um, getting uh, married. And uh, I, I think the... The two boys there are the um, are the female um, p- part of the partnership there, uh, her sons, and uh, it's very cool. The uh, the slide that we're showing right now says "just married" written on the uh, 
Yeah, they just need some uh, some tin cans, tin cans, yeah, and boots. Yeah, fly around with those bows. Yeah, yeah. Some flowers. <laughs> I like it. So good. Very nice. That's brilliant, though, isn't it? First Lieutenant Very Lindsay nice. Harrison, uh, 700th Airlift Squadron. Oh, she's a navigator. Smiles at the announcement that she and Captain Will Jones, 700th Airlift Squadron pilot. Oh, do they let pilots and navigators um, commingle like that? They must wow. have had special permission. Yeah. Yeah. Officially married during a ceremony on the back of a C-130 H-3 Hercules at Dobbins Air Force Base right here in Atlanta on November 10th. Nice. Yeah. So she basically tells him where to go, right? That's how it works. That, <laughs> so true. That's why, that's why it works. In this that's why it does Navigators work. are just directional consultants, you know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But they will tell you where you're going wrong, for sure. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. All right. Uh, moving on to 11. Uh, this is from Ham Radio Jim. Greetings, APG gang. This really isn't really feedback as much as a general question about aviation safety directed towards my favorite group of experts. Although old news, I was listening to a dialogue between Stephen Colbert and his band leader, John Baptiste, and regarding, uh, let's see, the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash. Mr. Colbert lost his father and two brothers to a plane crash when he was a boy. So the Kobe event was particularly meaningful to him. He said that the plane crash that impacted his life resulted in improved aircraft safety because of the availability of data or data from the flight data and cockpit voice recorders. Uh, let's see. Apparently, there is no such safety recorder uh, requirement in commercial helicopters. However, a New Zealand helicopter pilot told Mr. Colbert about an aftermarket device called Eye in the Sky developed primarily for use in helicopters. I wonder if you're aware of this device's use anywhere in the world, and also if you're aware if there's any movement by the FAA towards requiring flight and voice data recorders for helicopters. Thanks so much. He says, I'm finally caught up on APG podcasts and now wait anxiously each week for the next show to drop. We're going to drop this baby on you right now, man. Uh, love to you guys. Uh, 7-3 from Whiskey to November Sierra Foxtrot, Ham Radio. Jim, and uh, I didn't get a pick of this for an overlay, but this is like a little tiny device. It looks like a, a very almost like a webcam that um, is affixed at some place in the cockpit, and it uh, has a wide-angle lens to capture your cockpit view in high definition. Your cockpit audio, intercom, and radio is recorded for 100% post-flight clarity. Our specially designed and hardened memory SD card records approximately 22 hours of HD video. Eye in the Sky audio, video, and data recording starts automatically when you turn the aircraft power on. Anyway, so it goes and talks about all the features and benefits of this particular device. And I guess it's not a mandatory thing, but I think it might be a kind of a, a useful thing to have. It certainly would. It's yeah, like there's a... For airplanes, really, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, I think uh, they've uh, they've been floating this idea around for for airliners here for a while. And I don't. I mean, I I I, I guess eventually it'll happen. Yeah, but for now, happen. the yeah. But unions have been been fighting this tooth and mm -hmm. nail here, and uh, and and uh, I mean, I see how it'd be it would be uh, um, useful, but I I mean. Uh, 
the uh, the quick access recorders and the digital flight data recorders and all that other stuff. I mean, uh, uh, and, and the cockpit voice recorders and all that. Um, I don't see what. I don't know. I don't. Know. I'm. I'm. I'm not. Well, you know what? Actually, I, I, but, I'm uh, going to say it, Rick. I know why the freight dogs, especially. Uh, don't want to have the cameras <laughs> in the cockpit because that means you guys would have to actually wear pants. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. that's really more it. flying in your underwear. <laughs> no, exactly. Well, I, well, I I still I'll still will I still will, but uh, just you know, no one will want to watch I'll, that uh, video. I'll, I'll have an audience now, but uh, <laughs> a new following. Like we don't want to see exactly. that. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, well, people might want to see you uh, in your underwear, Rick, because you're you're a pretty beef beefy guy nice and fit and <laughs> slim and muscular but i think there's an awful lot of pilots are we talking there. about the average pilot again Nick? <laughs> yeah he's above average for With sure his beer belly and his hairy you know bits and we don't want to see that no we definitely exactly. don't want to see those hairy bits exactly uh, oh man <laughs> Yeah. But uh, so, I mean, from the flight safety point of view, I think it's it's almost impossible to argue against because there have been a significant number of accidents where uh, video analysis would have revealed so much more information than is available from the flight data recorder. Um, so I think it's almost bound to happen. And I can also see this device um making its way perhaps into um, flight schools uh, where, you know, they want to know what the people they rent their airplanes uh, to are doing with them. Um, You know, so I can see it happening Uh, and it's, it's inexpensive. So, you know, it could be put uh, in any aircraft. People are already taking heaps of video of themselves when they're flying their G airplanes around. Uh, this is just an extension of that. Adds uh, radio audio, adds uh, intercom audio as well as ambient noise. Um, the video is high definition enough to be able to zoom in to see what people are actually uh, doing, which controls they've moved. Uh, and, you know, I think any flight safety organization, an accident investigation uh, branch is going are going to say invaluable. That we you know we've got to have these if we want us to uh, find out uh, safety trends and uh, w- work out why aircraft come come down. Then this needs to be uh, uh, on board every aircraft. I can see why people wouldn't want it, but uh, I think certainly if you're flying for hire, I can see it would really and honestly be an essential piece of kit. Yeah. I think it's something that's going to happen eventually. And I think it's it probably will. going to come about because yeah. something in the future is going to happen that's going to sway everyone's minds and opinion, or at least folks who are more well, regulatory. Well, the Kobe, the Kobe um, well, accident yeah. might have been it, but mm-hmm. uh, not yet. Not I yet. mean, uh, we, we see it back uh, with voice recorders, uh, the introduction of voice recorders and to uh, aircraft. What, there was an enormous amount of pushback from the pilots who mm-hmm. were convinced that the companies would use the voice recorders to uh, uh, pick out pilots who were criticizing their airlines or whatever. And, of course, Mm. none of that has ever turned out to happen. No, and you look at the... uh, set the president. Yeah, the specific example that Ham Radio Jim mentions here, that Eastern Airlines Flight 212, that was actually uh, an accident that occurred here in the Charlotte area um, on approach to Charlotte Douglas. And what they went back and saw from the um, cockpit voice recorders was that the the flight crew was discussing other things and there was poor visibility. They were trying to 
um, identify some visual references, but in their chatter, they kind of got distracted and lost their altitude awareness. Was that a DC-9? So, it was a DC-9. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were trying to identify um, some of the uh, unapproached to the three six runways in Charlotte. There's a big amusement park that you go over, so they were trying to identify, I think, the tower there at the amusement park and hmm. talking about some other things in the process. They were actually looking for Steph's house. <laughs> I didn't live there at the time. This was back yeah. in. Well, they knew actually, somehow. That's why they couldn't wasn't even find alive it. at the time. <laughs> yeah, um, that's why they crashed. They couldn't yeah. find your house. It's all yeah. your fault. All my fault. All my fault. <laughs> but um, we need a big uh, beacon on your house to make it easier for people to see. <laughs> but uh, you know, a positive thing that came out of having that access to that CVR data, they could see what was going, or they could hear what was going on. That was um, a departure from what was expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this, this, makes is gonna recommendations. this is going to happen. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to happen. Yeah. I think there's going to be video. and doesn't mean we like it, but it's probably going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. 14, Jeff, 14. 14 it is, Liz. Um, hey, crew. So glad to have you guys back on the podcast waves. This is from Greg Peterson. I got so desperate for APG during the hiatus that I went back and started listening to APG episodes from the early years. I listened to episodes 12 through 29 during that time. I have a comment and question about the NICAD batteries losing their storage capacity from episode 448. I completely understand the concern with the uh, nickel-cadmium batteries on stored aircraft. I've had numerous cordless power tools that use uh, NICAD batteries, and if you store them for a long time, Without use, the batteries begin to deteriorate and won't fully charge and don't last as long in use. I also understand the use of batteries in aircraft as a backup in the event of an electrical failure, but I was wondering where the Ram Air Turbine comes into play on the electrical system and if it only energizes certain systems when it is used. This might be one to defer to a time when Rick is on the show. If so, I shall sit back and... Listen to the Ricketts, and he also included in his um, email, his feedback, um, a something that you actually have already used on our show, and it is this overlay here, the uh, the Ricketts uh, graphic <laughs> signal or sign. All right. So um, I don't, you know, I've never flown. I can't. I'm going to not say a thing here because I've never flown an airplane that has a Ram Air turbine. So. I'm not sure how that all works and what it powers. And You didn't have a rat in the L-1011? Nope. Wow. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So if it did, <laughs> I don't remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it did. I have I'm trying to think of an airplane I've flown that doesn't have one. I... Hmm. Yeah. Well, none of the, the, um, the 727 didn't, the uh, Mad Dog, the 717, oh. they don't. Um, yeah. I'll have to look up. But, so all the airplanes I've flown have rats, but not not. So it it, it kind of depends because uh, the, the Ram Air turbine um, it depends on the airplane. Sometimes uh, it provides um, uh, both uh, hydraulic and electrical power. Sometimes it's just uh, hydraulic power, which is the case on the seven sixty seven. Um, basically the uh, the rat will at least in the seven six uh, will automatically drop. Um, it, it arms itself above 80 knots and will automatically drop when uh, the system senses a dual engine flame out. 
And the reason behind that is because um, the number one and number three hydraulic systems, uh, the pumps work off of the number one and number two engines, right? So they're engine-driven pumps. And so uh, in order to maintain that hydraulic pressure, you need that uh, rammer turbine going. Um, the 7.6 has a system called the hydraulic-driven generator, which is a, a, a device uh, that works off of the center hydraulic system, which will provide um, uh, limited um, uh, AC power uh, off of that uh, hydraulic system, which the rat is powering. So it's kind of like, so, it, so I guess in this case, the rat kind of is providing electrical power, but not directly. And uh, for aircraft where the RAT provides both uh, electrical and hydraulic power, uh, really what you want is to, uh, to power those, those, those instruments and systems that are uh, essential to flight. So uh, what comes to mind is the, the, the captain's instrument transfer bus and you know, the, the left radio, uh, the left VOR, uh, and anything that, that, that you need uh, to get the aircraft uh, on the ground uh, safely. Um, if that was to, but I mean, but if you think about it to, to even get to that point, um, you have to go through, uh, the loss of every single AC generator on board, which, uh, you know, on, on the seven, six and triple sevens, I mean, the triple seven has five generators all together. Uh, the, the, the seven, six has three, you have one per engine and one in the APU. You can turn the APU on in flight, which is actually a requirement for for twin engine airplanes to to qualify for 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 ETOPS flights. And so, if you're if you've lost all your AC generating uh, AC uh, generating uh, generating capabilities, and you're down to uh, the the Rattan or or the the HDG or just battery power, I mean it's 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 a really bad day. It's a really really bad day. So uh, I don't I don't think I've ever heard of anything like that happening. Uh, if you were down to just battery power on the on on the seven six, uh, it really depends on what kind of uh, electrical system you have on there. You have a a system that provides thirty minutes of battery power. Other systems that provide uh, ninety minutes, depending on how the uh, batteries are are wired together. Um, but if you find yourself in the middle of the Atlantic with uh, thirty or ninety minutes uh, left of electrical power, just a battery only, uh, you have bigger problems. So. Um, Again, I don't know how you would even get to that point. Yeah. According to um, Dan King in our chat room, yes, the L-1011 did have one at least. The Eastern ones did. L-1011, okay. Um, I just sent you a little clip there, too, of something I found on, online. It said it was the first wide-body aircraft to incorporate a oh, Ram air turbine. Well, how about that? Well, I guess it's been such a long time since I've flown the airplane. I don't, rem I don't remember that. Did yeah. the uh, did the ten eleven have a have an AP, it had an APU right it had yeah. to have an APU yeah we had an APU okay so so that has a generator and then you have uh, the generators on one two and three so that's four generators I'm sure you could turn the you could put uh, you could uh, put the <laughs> well generator on <laughs> yeah. you could put the generator online in flight for the the APU generator online in flight on ten eleven so I don't know I mean I mean it, it gets to the point where you have so many generators on board that uh, you know you you might not need um the the ratford electrical uh power generation but uh but you do need it for for hydraulic power if in case you know the engines flame out and you find yourself without uh, hydraulic pumps let's see in uh airliners.net a forum there the lockheed l1011 has a ram air turbine in the center of the belly just forward of the hydraulic service bay forward door the rat is connected to the b hydraulic system and will produce 2,800 2850 psi at 15 gallons per minute. 
two-bladed mm. prop is about 30 inches in diameter and spins about 5,800 RPM. Okay, so I guess it was just for hydraulics. Oh, yeah. There you go. Well, interesting yeah, thing about they, that thing is that you need you have a, a minimum airspeed. So uh, it's, a, it's, on, it's in the neighborhood. It depends on the airplane, but it's in the, in the neighborhood of about 120 knots, which is clearly below what your your landing speed would be if you find yourself with a, hydro, with a uh, hydraulic issue because you obviously would would hate to lose um that um the the rat generating hydraulic pressure and then and then be be, be below that speed because obviously you wouldn't have a, a hydraulically powered flight control so obviously you will always land faster than the minimum speed required for the rat to operate properly yep what he said all right um thank you very much let's see uh we're getting close to the end. Do we have time, Liz, to do? We definitely have to do number 17. I think go to 17 okay. and then finish. Control room saying go to 17. Okay, here we go. So this is uh, timely. Uh, we actually uh, had this communication with a young lady named Ashley um, several weeks ago, um, maybe more than a month ago. And uh, let me just read you what she sent to us. And I'm hoping that the person that this applies to is actually listening. He likes to listen to the end of all the APG episodes, I'm hoping. Um, Ashley says, good morning, airline pilot guy crew. My name is Ashley. I work for Cecil County's Department of Emergency Services in Maryland. Our chief, Richard Brooks, is an avid fan of your podcast and listens every week. Richard joined the Civil Air Patrol as a teenager where he learned to fly and still flies whenever he gets the chance. Richard has spent his entire career in service to his community. He became a paramedic, firefighter, and hazmat technician in Baltimore, serving his community for 25 years. Following retirement, he worked as a defense contractor for CSC, serving as a senior national security analyst, working in the International Counterproliferation Program, this program is focused on the reduction of, of illegal materials being transported across international borders. Most recently, he has served as Cecil County's Director of Emergency Services for the past 13 years. Richard is set to retire on December 4th and will be sorely missed by our staff. I am not sure if you do any type of shout out on your podcast. We do if it's appropriate, uh, but I was hoping... You could say a quick thank you to him from our staff on the air. I think it would be a nice surprise to hear him acknowledged during the show that comes out the week he retires. Please let me know if this is at all possible. And uh, I understand if it's not. Thank you for your time and consideration. So, again, Ashley, I we wrote back right away and said, absolutely, we'll make uh, room on our show for um, the shout out to Richard Brooks. And I, I do uh, know that he's sent us feedback in the past. His name is familiar to us. And so, Richard, congrats on, what is this, your second or third retirement? <laughs> um, and uh, looks like you have, you must be a great um, person to work with and work for, for people like Ashley uh, Bothwell to uh, send a, send this in so that you can uh, have a nice send-off from the APG crew and the APG community. So, with that, I guess I need to find the applause so that we can uh, do this properly. Congratulations, Richard. Hey. 
Congratulations. Congratulations, Richard. I like your name. Go, Enjoy your retirement. Awesome I can guarantee it's a wonderful place to be. Yes. All right. So there you have it. A great way to end the show, especially on this Thanksgiving Day. Again, that'll be next week. We weren't sure which show would be best to put it on, but I think that this one was about as close as we could get without actually, you know, going past your retirement date. So, um, yeah, enjoy retirement and uh, thanks for being a listener to our show. And more time to listen now. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, you won't have more time. I, I promise you. <laughs> yeah. You'll be busier than ever. <laughs> Absolutely. All righty. With that, uh, I think we need to point you all over to our great website. Uh, Arash uh, manages for us, uh, airlinepilotguide.com, uh, where you'll find all kinds of great stuff. Like, uh, let's see, we'll put a little uh, screen up here so I can read. Oh, it's too small for me to read. But uh, with the podcast, we have podcast, APG, APG on YouTube, Thank you. APG crew, Plain Tales, APG library, Coffee Fund, APG store. Contact us and a calendar. There you go. Couldn't have said it better. And uh, we're also on social media or what I like to call the social meds. Check us out on Twitter. We're at APG Crew. You can also find our individual information pinned to the top of that page. You can head over to Instagram, also at APG Crew. And Facebook.com slash Airline Pilot Guy. So head on over there. Pick your favorite social med and we will see you there. All right. And uh, let's see. As always, we have our Slack team. If you want to become part of our Slack team, let's see. Hello. Hello. Time, time for Slack. Okay, but I'm dripping wet. Uh, yeah, we know. We know. There he is on the uh, video if you're watching the video version of the show. Um, and uh, if you're listening to the audio only, uh, if you're. If your uh, podcast player allows it, you'll probably also be looking at Hillel with uh, some kind of an item in his right hand. We're not sure if it's a loofah or if it's a burrito or some kind of a combination of the two. But anyhow, a loofarito. A loofarito. <laughs> that sounds like somebody's name. <laughs> what was that? Ferigmo. Sounds like a fancy loofarigmo. Like <laughs> That's what it sounds to me like. <laughs> anyway, um, so Hillel, please tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. Thank you very much, Hillel. We do appreciate it always managing Oh, hey, real quick. Congratulations. No, he's disoriented again. Ah, sorry. I didn't mean to. <laughs> it's okay. Go ahead. I was saying, um, congratulations. I think it was his daughter's bat, mitz- bat mitzvah today. So I'm, I'm oh. just glad he was able to join us uh, here at the Yeah, he took, took a little bit took of time, time out from the bat, bat mitzvah. I did not say that right. Bat, bat, bat mitzvah. mitzvah. Um, to uh, tell us about Slack. Thank you, Hillel. So, Very important part of our community. And... Uh, we also, sh- another huge part of our crew who is largely unseen behind the scenes, our producer, director, uh, and just all around good friend, Liz. 
Piper. Can we see you though, Liz? In, Absolutely. Yeah, we can see you. Uh, Always in Toronto. Uh, thank you for all the hard work. We do appreciate it. And she's still struggling sans uh, MacBook computer, so hopefully uh, she'll have one of those in her hands uh, in the next few weeks. It'll be much uh, less stressful for her, I'm sure. And until next time, uh, wishing all of you here in the States a uh, happy Thanksgiving and uh, clear skies and limited visibility and tailwinds to all. Take care and God bless. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Turkey Day, everybody. See you next time. <laughs> everybody enjoy the pecan pie. Because <laughs> we're all turkeys here. Day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline pilot guy I fly America oh, Airline pilot guy He can't land in heavy oh, I got no friends cause I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how